1: From the Pac West Center in downtown Portland, presented by High Caliber Millwrights, here's John Canzano with the bald-faced truth.
0: I did an interview today that was a little different for me. I did an interview where I was the interview subject. Tyson Alger of the I-5 Corridor had me on his podcast, and I was the subject of questions. And I found myself thinking about something he said during that interview that has stuck with me. He sorta asked me, how did my upbringing, growing up in a family where I had a dad who was a former professional baseball player, how did that shape my journey as a sports writer, sports columnist, radio show host? Did that play a role? in uh, me ending up where I ended up. Tyson Alder asked me that. It's something I've thought about over the years, and maybe you've thought about the influences that your parents had on you or maybe just the influences in general when you look at your own journey, your own path. Because it's true. When you grow up in a family that sports is a focal point in, and it's definitely been a focal point in, in my family growing up, when you grow up like that, and you find that sports is a focal point, you find that, you know, writing was always something I was interested in and good at, like, it makes sense to me that I would end up as a sports writer. Because it's true. I spent time as a kid reading short stories, Jack London, Edgar Allan Poe, but also hearing stories about Louis Tiant and Tom Siever, Nolan Ryan. My dad's been on this show, and Father's Day weekend is coming up this weekend. They are, uh, frankly, they have just driven into town. I haven't seen my dad yet, but my mom and dad drove from California in the last couple days, and they've been making their way up I-5, and uh, they are in town. I'll see them tonight. But it got me thinking about sort of the influence that that my own dad had on me and the influence that I will have on my children. Look, we all work. We're all busy. I'm as busy as the next person. You're as busy as me. Uh but we all I think in the end try to do the best that we can as parents to to be those influences on our kid. But let me ask you this and it's a question I've been mulling over. What is that influence that your own dad had on you when it came to sports or maybe your life? We got a Father's Day weekend coming up this weekend. We got a great radio show today. Arizona athletic director Dave Hickey will be on the show. He's in the three o'clock hour. Kelly Graves, University of Oregon women's basketball coach, will be on the show. He's in the four o'clock hour. Uh, I want your phone calls in and around that as well, though. As I sort of look forward to a Father's Day weekend, and obviously it's a celebration of dads, and and you know, and not all. Not all people have fond memories of their fathers, right? I, and we've learned this on this show as we've talked to people over the years and they'll say, you know, my father didn't play a role in my life. or But you have a father figure who stepped in, whether it was an uncle or a neighbor or a friend or a stepfather, somebody stepped in to fill that void. And it's because what we do is a village. And it's, it's, it's important to remember that, too, because I have encountered kids over the years who maybe didn't have a great father influence in their life. And uh, I have often looked and thought about, like, how could I, as a man in this community, be part of that village that helps sort of raise a kid or maybe usher them in the, in the right direction? But I'm going to ask you that off the top of the show today. And it, and it doesn't necessarily have to be a sports thing. But give me the influence that your dad had on you that you carry with you today. And is there a sports tentacle to it? Five zero three four one seven seventy five seventy five is the number. I want to hear about your dads, uh, because for me it was a lot of the values that you see in sports: the discipline, the hard work, the resilience, the uh, ability to deal with setbacks. And that I found like I, you know, my dad wasn't teaching it to us overtly, but it was innate in everything that we did. It was natural to those family gatherings. We used to have dinner at around five o'clock. We ate on the early side, and I can remember on summer nights in particular, uh, after dinner, we often went and we got in the car and we drove over to the local high school that wasn't that far away. It was like a five-minute drive away, and and uh, there would be a ball and a bat and uh, gloves and a soccer ball or whatever it was that we were doing that day, and And we would play for half an hour as a family and we would kick the ball around and we would play catch and my dad would hit fly balls and we'd all run around crazy out on the field. And and I realized, like, you know, not every every family did that. And I also realized that there may have been part of that that was tied to the idea that it doesn't cost anything to go out to a field with four kids and throw a ball around. Nothing but time. 503-417-7575, I want to hear about the influence that your father had on you or still has on you to this day, because I still I find myself sounding like my father as I talk to my own children. I find myself uh, simultaneously saying things where I go, oh, yeah, yeah, that's good advice. Stay with that. And then I also will say say something where I go, oh, I shouldn't have probably said that or done it in that way, because the message that gets to my kids maybe isn't the message that I want to be sending. What is it that comes to mind when I ask you about your dad? Honor your father here on this great Tuesday of Father's Day week. We won't do it later in the week. I want to do it now. 503-417-7575 is the number. Uh, Back in studio on this great day, uh, who's in the big seat today? Hey, John. There he is, Judah Newby. Uh, Hey, give me your father's influence on you.
2: What a great topic, Ben. Just the opportunity to think about it. It strikes a chord. I would just say there's a special feeling when you're playing sports growing up, whether it's youth sports or high school sports, when your dad's in the crowd. And my dad couldn't make every game. He worked at a lot of times. That, you know, when when baseball games were first getting started, but he was at a lot of those games. And I remember the special feeling when he was there. And he's a quiet guy. My dad is, um, you know, very meek and humble <laughs> gentleman. But I could hear him. You know, I could always hear his voice when he said, you know, hey, Judah, you got him. You know, I'm in the batter's box. Yep. That's a special feeling, and I'm always grateful for that.
0: Your dad's support meant a lot to you. And I, I hear people say that all, all the time, like just showing up and being there for your kid can obviously uh, can obviously be uh, a big influence and a big part of that. I want to hear from other people. 503 417 is the number. Let's go to Ron who's in Salem. Ron wants to talk about his dad. Ron, tell us about your dad.
3: Uh, my dad coached me through all kinds of sports. Uh, he was a he was a major baseball coach. He used to do the Billy Martin. I remember being mortified as he did the Billy Martin on junior umpires, kicking dirt on their shoes. And he used uh-huh. to embarrass me really bad. But uh, uh, my dad was the type of guy – well, one time in high school, i i got a I got the start on the football team, and my dad left work early. His van broke down. We were in California. His van broke down about four and a half miles away from where the game was in on the freeway. He left it in the middle of the freeway, walked just to get there, just to watch me play. yeah wow. uh, That's the type of guy he was. He was like my best friend. He hung out with me and my buddies on Monday night for Monday night football. Uh, when he passed away, it left it left a major void. My dad was the type of guy, everyone else could be around me when I was down and they say, get up, get up. And I wouldn't listen to him. But like that other caller was saying, you know, when you hear your dad's voice say it, it's something, there's something a little bit different about it. He was, he could always get me to get up by just telling me stupid things. Like, well, what are you going to do? Lay down there all day, get up, dust yourself off. Let's go. You know, he was, uh, he was an awesome guy. Uh, The kids, he he coached, even after I left and, uh, he had a bigger friend group than I do, <laughs> I and mean, I have a lot of friends. Yeah, but the kids still remember him from Campbell Little League in, in California. Oh, yeah. Uh, he, he was a, he was a, a character.
0: Yeah, and, you. Uh,
3: so did you grow up in the Bay Area? Yeah, I grew up in Campbell, yeah. Right. Yep. What
0: high school did you go to?
3: I went to Prospect, and I went to Blackburn.
0: Okay. I know Prospect High School very well. I know that area well. Always good to hear from that. It, it's interesting because... Ron is talking about his dad and sort of that sports influence and being able to hear your dad's voice, Judah, you mentioned your dad just showing up and being there and being present. Uh, I got to say this, like I, I, I didn't at the time probably realize what it meant to me, but little league coaches and youth football coaches and youth basketball coaches, it's a tremendous time commitment for dad to put in that time to say, Hey, I'm going to be, I'm going to be your, uh, your, your coach. but, I got to be honest, looking back, it was a blessing for me. Like, my dad didn't coach every level that I played at, but he coached a couple of few teams because I had brothers and sisters and he was coaching their teams too at different years, so I didn't get him as a coach every year. But it was one of the best experiences that I had to see my dad in that leadership role, and anybody who's ever played for their dad on a team knows that your dad is probably harder on you than he is on anybody else on that team. We hear that theme over and over again, but I just think it's it's kind of cool to hear ultimately, you know, what uh, what what starts off as. Uh, your dad wanting to coach the team, uh, you realize your dad's voice, your dad's presence, him just simply being there, it's important. Dad's out there listening. Pay attention to that. Simply being there. Sometimes that's that's enough or that's what you remember. Let's go to Beaver Creek. Sam's in Beaver Creek. Welcome to the show.
4: Hey, John. Thanks for taking my call. I want to, wrap, I want to try and keep it concise because i got a bunch of things about my father, but he put up a tire in the backyard. We had a long enough backyard where I could and made a pitching mound where I could pitch all day and night. He put up a a basketball hoop in the backyard where I would burn the snow with newspaper when we moved to Oregon. So I could shoot hoops in the backyard on a snowy day, drove me to practice. He'd show up at a game with his slacks and uh, with his, uh, black dress shocks and work shoes with shorts on. If if anybody old enough, remember their dad coming with their day, their work day. Yep. yep. But, uh, a uh, couple weeks ago, or a month or two ago, you had a conversation about a gift that your parents maybe gave you. If I could slide this in real quick about my dad, yeah, um, it was Christmas in the Bay Area. We were in Fairfield, and back then, Christmas Day everything is closed, everything, right? So he got me a toy. It was a transformer, but he noticed I was down a little bit, and he pulled me to the side. He said, Samuel, what's wrong?" You know, I said, "Uh, you know," and I was it was it was a different time then, where my father was a great dad but also intimidating to a five-year-old, right? So I didn't always speak up, but I said, well, it wasn't the one I wanted. And he said, "Uh, all right, I know where Santa Claus is. I'll try and catch him. He may be in this area, right? So he goes outside. He's gone for 20 minutes, right? Comes back with the transformer I wanted. And I was like, whoa, Santa is real? How in the heck did my dad pull that off? And as an adult, I asked him. He said he just bought three or four different ones, had them in the trunk, went outside, smoked a cigarette. (laughs) <laughs> and back here, but uh, to this day, I'm 43 years old. Every time I leave my father, I cry. And you can maybe hear that my voice now.
0: Yeah.
5: All right. That's it.
0: Yeah. You know what he, he he loves you, Sam. I mean, that the bottom line is the wrapped up in all that is. Dad just wanted to make make it happen for Sam. And a lot of you out there listening to this probably have similar stories of a father who volunteered or played or show up or maybe it was just a father figure who volunteered or played with you or showed up or tried to make it happen for you. I find myself to this day with three daughters. I'm going to tell you, right before the show started, the the, the door opened and the two uh, young girls walked, bounced through the door, six and eight, home from school. And I literally try to give them both a hug every time they come in the door from school and whatever because I won't see them for several hours after this radio show starts. And, you know, I did that, but it wasn't enough for me, you know. And it was literally like two, three minutes before the show started today. I stopped what I was doing and I just said, you know what? I got to find those rascals. And I went looking for them and they were both upstairs and they're sitting watching YouTube. And I walked into the room and I just gave them both a big squeeze. And that was enough, you know? And for those of you out there who are parents, I think you know what I'm talking about. So much to talk about on today's show. We got to dive into the latest on the NBA Finals, but I want to keep it local on today's show in hour number one. We'll talk about the Ducks, we'll talk about the Beavers, and we'll talk about academic progress. Does that matter anymore? Plus, J.J. Burden, former Oregon Ducks, sounds off. He does not want to see Oregon football players declaring early for the draft and going undrafted. I'll tell you what J.J. Burden told me this morning.
1: You've got the home of the truth. Back to the bald-faced truth with John Canzano on 750 The Game.
0: Just saw some viewership numbers on the NBA Finals. Game 5 on ABC averaged 13 million viewers. That's up 30% from last year. Up 30%. Wow. Through five games, the NBA Finals viewership is up a total of 26% over last year. And uh, the uh, NBA Finals on ABC have an average share of 19.4, which is up 29%. So we're up 25 to 30% on the viewership. Why? Why are these finals more watched than last year's finals? Is it the teams? Is it the time? Is it the sports calendar? Less crowded? Is it the fact that uh, it's Boston against a Golden State team? Big market, big market, so to speak. Uh, Is it uh, all of those things? Yes. It probably is a combination of all of those things. I do feel like 2020, 2021... We had this real exhaustion with sports and our sports calendar being off. They're back on track this season, so I think that helps. They're running relatively unopposed. They don't have to worry about you know a bunch of other seasons and games bleeding into there and cannibalizing them. But I do think that part of this is we have a, uh, a couple of teams in this series that are from bigger markets that bring some cachet with them and you know i think our market in particular in the pacific northwest our markets are going to see uh, a bump up because there is so to speak a dog in the fight with some of the some of the personalities especially on the boston side of this of this series but you know last year it was milwaukee and phoenix and i think it you know milwaukee and phoenix aren't golden state and boston so i think that's part of it last year too in the last two years we were talking about bubble then emerging from the bubble, and the sports calendar being off, and everybody exhausted from college football being played when it wasn't supposed to be played, and baseball being jammed in, and the NBA starting a season, you know, uh, finishing a season, then starting a season. like I think that played a role in it. Is there anything I'm missing here, Judah and Sean, that, that you guys see? Why is Golden State, Boston, a more watched series by about 25 to 30 percent nationally?
2: I think the familiarity with the Warriors and then the big market nature of uh, the Celtics, also, you know, the Warriors being a big market team as well, that plays into it. I would probably single that one out because everyone is so familiar with Steph, Dre, Clay, Steve Kerr. I think that they draw viewership, um, especially coming out of the the KD era. So I would look at that, and then Boston, you know, is Boston. I think they're going to draw a lot of eyeballs. No matter who's coaching, who's playing for them, I am. I agree with you. I'd be curious to see what our local, you know, TV ratings are on that. You know, between uh, Pritchard on one side, GP two on the other, and then all the coaching staff on the Celtics. Uh, it, it is a pretty fascinating series, and I'm having fun watching it a lot more this year than I was last year. Even though I was curious last year,
0: I, th- I think the Bucks Suns didn't do it for me. Like we we talked about it, but not like we've talked about this series. And some of it is Boston and Peyton Pritchard, but I just think it's a better matchup. Uh, so, does, Sean, are we missing anything else?
6: I also think just this has been such a competitive series. Going into every single one of these games, I've really had no idea who was going to win. And every single one of these games is, has been pretty close. Like, there hasn't been any blowouts like there were leading into this final series. So, I think it's just, you know, really a question mark on who's going to win. And maybe that question mark got answered last night. It looks like it might go the Warriors' way now.
0: Yeah, I feel like it w- it'll it go the Warriors' way, but I also feel like Boston's not done. I think they'll put up a fight. I think they'll they'll win another game in the series uh, before it's over. Six or seven was my call in the beginning, and I'm kicking myself for not betting on it, but uh, that's where I'm at on this. But uh, I also think, like, I, the sports calendar, I, I had a hard time, like a lot of people, in 2020-2021 with everything being not where it was supposed to be college football didn't start when it was supposed to start. They had the NBA in the bubble, then wanting to start fast, Major League Baseball couldn't get its act together. The, you know, the NFL kind of did what it was supposed to do, but things weren't where they were supposed to be. And I think there was an exhaustion because the sports calendar is sort of designed like, you know, all these sports are mindful of where the other leagues are playing and they try to stay off each other's territory and, and not overlap too much because not because out of respect, but they just don't want to cannibalize what they know can be their maximum audience. So I had a hard time at different times in the last couple of years when things were not being played where they were supposed to be played, kind of trying to figure out what I'm doing because I think a lot of us know that, you know, we we kind of plan around the Super Bowl being in that that first week of February or so window. We expect Major League Baseball's playoffs like we expect a Mr. October, but not a Mr. November, and certainly not a Mr. December. Uh, we don't need that. And in college football, we need our games to start in, you know, late August or September, and then you have uh, you have like the, the the meat of the college football se- season into the fall. So it did get tossed on its head when you know the Pac-12 and the Big Ten postponed and started late, it, you know, when they did start back up, the games were not where they were supposed to be on the calendar. What are we missing here? Is there anything else? 503-417-7575. Mike's in Portland. Mike, what are we missing? Well,
4: you're missing the fact that most people are sticking around watching basketball because they don't want to get in their car and drive around because gasoline is $6 a gallon. Okay. So they're so they forced to stay home. So you miss in that aspect. You know, to be honest about it, man, you know, how can a person get excited about watching uh, the playoffs when they don't play defense? It, it, it's, it's not uh, – all you see seeing is three-point shots. It's boring. So I figure the only reason people are sitting at home because they got a captured audience – they don't want to pay, don't want to drive around because gasoline is $6 a gallon. That's what you're missing. Talk appreciate, to you later.
0: Appreciate that. I think that plays a factor, but I would, I would feel better about that if school were already out, as a theory. School were already out, and what we were learning is, hey, people aren't driving on long vacations this summer. They're going locally. They're going over to the coast. They're not driving you know, seven hours away. And I say that knowing that my parents just made, like, an 11-hour drive from the Bay Area. I wonder what that cost. Uh, Leave it here. you got the BFT statewide on the Bald Face Truth Radio Network. you got Arizona Athletic Director Dave Hickey coming up next. We'll talk about the Pac-12, the Wildcats in particular. Back to
1: the Bald Face Truth with John Canzano on 750, The Game.
0: Well, you know, on this show, we like to uh, get into Pac-12 business, and I like to get around the conference, get to understand the different athletic departments, the people who work in them, kind of of state-of-the-union stuff. Dave Hickey is the athletic director at the University of Arizona. Um, We're going to talk about Arizona sports, but we're also going to talk about Hickey himself. And for those of you out there that that might have a kid or might yourself be considering a career in sports or athletics, I think Hickey's got a good story for you. And, you know, he's a guy who worked at the University of Oregon. He um, also has worked in a whole bunch of other places. Uh, You know, he got his master's degree at Ohio State and played baseball at Albion College in the 80s. He was co-captain of the baseball team, played on the club hockey team. The pride of East Lansing High School. Dave Hickey joining us now. How are you, man?
7: Hey, I'm doing good, John. I appreciate that, those kind words. That nice old tea up there.
0: What did you Let's go back to baseball cuz co-captain of the baseball team. And you know, you're on the hockey team. Back in the day, did you think, you know what, I'll be the AD someday, but uh, I want to play a sport cuz I think that experience as a student athlete probably really benefits you.
7: Well, it was great to be a student-athlete, but no, I mean, my story, uh, I went to to college to try to play baseball and quickly learned that I wasn't going to go very far doing that, and um, quite frankly, when I was ending up, I was an economics major, and I didn't know what I wanted to do, but I really loved sports, and someone gave me a little tip, said, hey, why don't you look in these grad programs that kind of combine business and sports, and uh, might be something to to center around, and that's when I went to Ohio State, and I went from a Small little athletic program at Albion College to uh, at that point the largest uh, university in the country and a huge athletic program and uh, that's kind of where it started. I, I, I Rick Bay was uh, was the athletic director a, a name people might recommend remember and uh, it was just a it was an interesting time there at Ohio State but uh, got me going and uh, a Midwestern guy who ended up moving across the country and and got to the west and have really enjoyed it.
0: You got to the University of Oregon. You spent 18 years there, uh, you know, working on operations in the athletic department. And, you know, you had the, the big budget in the Pac-12. You were, at, you were at Oregon at a very formative time. When I say that, what comes to mind? What did you learn at Oregon that you still carry with you?
7: Well, you know, it, it was a long time ago. I got there in 1989, 88, 89, and uh, it was so different. You know, we were Mac Court. One of the stories I tell is, you know, we – and this may shock some people at where the university of Oregon is today and done They've done an incredible job, but you know, we didn't have enough money in the athletic budget to, um, to paint the concourse of Mac court, um, that old building and Bill Byrne was the athletic director who hired me. And he, he did an all staff call and said, show up on Saturday morning, we're going to paint the uh, concourse of Mack court. Um, and we, uh, you know, he, he brought the coffee and donuts and we sat there all day and kind of put a lot of yellow and, and, uh, and green paint up and kind of paint it, you know. And that's where it was, and obviously tremendous growth. And uh, to be part of that through the years um, was was really a lot of fun. And uh, and again, a credit to the great people around the program who stepped up and supported it in such a huge way. Um, but you know that that program, you know, it, it's just been incredible. You know, Rich Brooks was the head football coach. Um, I had four different athletic directors, uh, three different presidents, and somehow lasted there, like you said, for 18 years, and uh, it was a great run. Really enjoyed it there.
0: I think you learn a lot of stuff in that process. I love that story about Mac, about Mac Court, and uh, now they're playing at Matthew Knight Arena, but I'll never forget that old building. You're now at Arizona. You've been there, I think, about five years, maybe a little longer than that, and you know you walk into a, a Pac-12 conference that's very different and uh, when you re, reunite with it a lot of different facility upgrades how is Arizona doing in the facility world when you look at your stuff versus the rest of the Pac-12 well
7: i think the, the we had somewhat uh, we've been ahead of the curve many years ago with facilities and then missed that 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 next reup of facilities and so we are in the midst of rebuilding and refurbishing facilities at such an important piece you know i think for so long in the west facilities weren't that important there was so many fewer schools we knew what everyone was doing we kind of went through each other's campuses and said hey we're about there we're okay we're okay and quite frankly oregon was one of the first to jump out in the west and say let's let's do this and let's we can make some we can spread ourselves we can push ourselves forward by by emphasizing facilities sometimes in the when you go back to the eastern part of the country you know all those institutions cross over so much in their recruiting geographically, they're they may be in different conferences, but they're they're in similar states or right in the same geographic area. And so you there's a lot more movement, and I think the facility thing happened quickly uh, or earlier in the east uh, than it did in the West. And now many of us are trying to catch up to a degree. But I'm really proud of what we've done. We've invested a lot in facilities at arizona. we have we have much to do but uh, that's been a focus um, in my five-and-a-half years there is getting our facilities back up to the standards that are necessary to compete at this level and in a great conference like the Pac-12.
0: Ched Fish is your football coach. Uh, I know he's new on the job. I know that it's, it's, uh, it's, it's a build, right? It's a work in progress right now. But how do you feel about year one and what you've seen now in the offseason heading into year two for Fish?
7: Well, Jed's done a great job—a tremendous job. Uh, we made a commitment. Um, we had gone through different renditions of kind of the traditional college model, college football model, um, hiring a, a coach who's had success, and uh, you know, could we replicate something like that at, at Arizona? And you know, it didn't really work. I think the the idea with Jed was, hey, let's let's do something different. And we we when we talked to Jed and. We talked about how to how to align our football program differently. And I think lots of people are doing this now, but we, I wouldn't call us an NFL model, but it's certainly a hybrid model of the traditional college model. You know, we've got a player personnel division. We have a recruiting division. We have the football division. Um, it's highly specialized. It's much more complex than it used to be, certainly more robust with the number of people. And that doesn't solve everything, but we just really said, hey, we're going to strip this all the way down be very patient and build this back so that we can get Arizona football back to where it was when it was strong. You know, in the 90s, early 2000s, Coach Tomey, this was a tough place to come through and we want that again. We want the toughness, but we want to, we really want to build a program that is sustainable, competitive in our league, competitive in this new model that we've got going on as well in college athletics. So, Feel good about where Jet is. Uh, again, proud of what our team did last year. The wins, you know, obviously were hard to come by, but our team never stopped. We have an uh, incredible recruiting year. We're on to another great recruiting class this year. Uh, I think the performance and the skill level on the field is going to be much better. But we're going to take steps, and uh, I, I believe that we're headed in the right direction. And we'll have more wins this year, and, and we certainly will be com- uh, more competitive. And I think uh, people will see the difference in our football
0: program. Dave Hickey, Athletic Director, University of Arizona, is our guest. You, you've got a, a good news, bad news situation with men's basketball. On the, on the good side, that's a powerhouse program, and it's probably a big fundraising program and a big source of revenue. On the other side, you don't want to be known just as a basketball school. So how do you balance that, like plan to your strength, but also trying to, to get, get back in football?
7: Well, I think the great thing is we have tremendous leadership uh, with our head coaches, who really uh, enjoy being around each other. I think when people talk to me, they say, hey, that, you know, this really feels like it was in the 90s. Our coaches knew each other. They hang out with each other. They support each other. Uh, they're inquisitive of what each other does. So it's a great culture and a great vibe in our department. Um, certainly, basketball for us is a rock star, blue blood, gold star program, whatever we're going to call it. Um, but I don't think there's any reason why you can't be good at multiple sports. So we've obviously done that before we've had success in basketball with coach Olson and coach Tomey. We, we, you know, we've had a lot of success in our other sports, whether that's, you know, our softball programs, baseball, uh, swimming and diving. I mean, again, our, our golf programs, really successful, highly successful at the national level. I think the success can help everyone. You can build off of that. The good things happening in basketball help football. When football is more successful, it trickles down and helps basketball. Um, I think people start to see that, hey, this is, a, this is a really highly productive, really good athletic program. And so, um, you know, you, you balance that. But I think the more success we have across the board, the, it, the better it is for everyone. You know, the, the old saying that uh, it rises all boats. And uh, we really believe that here and our coaches really support each other and the success of, of everyone's programs helps each other.
0: George Klyovkov comes off to me as a he's smart. I think he gets it. He knows leadership. Feels like he's been really inclusive with the ADs, but I'm not on the inside. Dave, what's it like to work with Klyovkov and, and this commissioner?
7: George has been outstanding. Uh, I think that's a, you know, he's a he's a collaborator. He um, Very inclusive. Um, but he's, like you said, I mean, this is a keen, smart, Big picture guy, um, but doesn't lose sight of what we're all trying to do every day too, is kind of serve our student athletes, make our programs better, um, you know, allow our student athletes to be successful on uh, multiple levels. But at the same time, you know, George has experience in the media business. He has experience in in the high level entertainment business, sports and entertainment, with his uh, his career in in Vegas with MGM. He understands the importance of deals, partnerships, that are win-win-wins. You know, there's not a winner and a loser. You need to put things together that everybody wins on. Because if you don't, someone's not going to be satisfied, it isn't going to work out right, and you're, it's going to be short-term. And uh, that's, I, I just appreciate that about George and his ability to look you know, beyond the horizon a little bit too and say, hey, we've got to make sure that everyone comes to the table and can be successful here together. Uh, and, and that's important. And I, there's no secret. The next media cycle is important for the Pac-12 conference. The revenue components to that will help all of us to be competitive, not only in our own conference, and uh, but you know throughout the country, uh, and certainly in all of our sports. But you know in our in our big power sports, our flagship waving sports, uh, to have success, we need those revenues to invest in that. So uh, again. I am a uh, big big fan of George and, and looking forward to what he will bring to this conference. Cause I think it's going to be – I think our future is very, very bright under his
0: leadership. I think there's a lot of things that people probably don't understand about the job of an athletic director, and it's not always shaking hands and having fun. Uh, you had to fire a men's basketball coach uh, in April of 21. You made a really good hire with Tommy Lloyd. I think the evidence is out there. Was that, How difficult was that to make that decision, or was it sort of – Uh, you know, made for you a no-brainer?
7: Well, I don't think any time you have to let someone go, no matter what the circumstances are, it's a no-brainer. You know, there's a human element to this. Uh, We're, we're trying to do the right things always. We're trying to have our programs head in a positive direction. You know, sometimes you get to points where you, you have to, uh, the best decision made for everyone, the best decision made for the programs is to, to make a change. And, um, you know, it was it was hard to do in men's basketball and again all the other circumstances and issues around it made it very hard um, and complicate things but you know again we, we just thought it was the right time we had to do that to move our program forward for everyone really to catch a breath of fresh air and move forward um, and uh, you know we had a lot of years of really good basketball under Sean and the, the things that he did helped our program grow um, but we got to a point where we needed to we needed to change, and uh, bringing in Tommy Lloyd—that's been a uh, again tremendous. His uh, his ability to lead our program has been fantastic, and good person, a genuine person, uh, a guy who's a good leader, um, but uh, but also, you know, he really really knows how to coach basketball as well. So it's it's fun to have him in that seat, which is a really important seat here at the University of Arizona.
0: Thanks for that. I think it's I think it's really interesting. I also think too, Dave, that. It's got to be hard when you go to make a hire because you got a million people telling you what to do. People were texting me telling me who Arizona should hire. i got to know what your phone looked like in, like, the month as you are conducting a search for the next coach, and every booster, donor, whoever has your number is getting to you saying, here's what you should do, Dave.
7: Well, you, you quickly find out that a lot of people you didn't think knew your phone number know your phone number. Um, <laughs> but, you know, again, a lot of passion around the program, and there's a whether that's from fans, you know, boosters, strong supporters of ours, um, you know, the, 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 the network of coaches and people who represent coaches, uh, any of these searches, whether you're in football, basketball, or most any of our coaches become incredibly wild. But uh, staying, staying on point, trying to figure out what you really need, where your program is, who's the right fit, um, staying focused on that. Um, and then they're not easy. Because that you know how important the hire is, you want it to work. You want it to get your program moving forward. Because usually, when these changes happen, it's it's a re, there's a reason why, and do you you want to continue the success because someone maybe moved on and had to go to a, a different opportunity, or hey, you got to flip this, you got to turn it and get going in the right direction. And certainly, there's pressure there. Um, but I've always said we we just try to hire really good people who surround themselves with good people that make good decisions. And there's generally good outcomes when that all happens, um, and uh, and then again, the the results kind of speak for themselves, and we're really proud of what Tommy's done. And in fact, we hired six new head coaches in the last year. That that was kind of wow. that's my personal record. I'm not sure I want to do that again, but they're all doing a really fantastic job.
0: Arizona Athletic Director Dave Heakey is our guest, formerly a Deputy AD at the University of Oregon, among other places that he's worked. Tell me about your dad. Give me a story about your dad that, that, that stays with you to this day.
7: Wow. Um, well, you know, unfortunately my dad has passed away and, uh, um, but, uh, he was a big part of my life. And, uh, no, I think the thing I learned from my dad, he was a dentist. He was a really, um, salt of the earth, hardworking guy, um, he came from, he came from a, uh, a family. His dad was a traveling pharmaceutical salesperson, I mean, way back when you kind of mixed your own drugs and, uh, and did that. But uh, my dad was a pretty, pretty simple guy. Uh, he always said, hey, just do the right thing. We didn't have a lot of rules in our house. Uh, we, we didn't really. We didn't have that list where you had to follow all these 14 rules. He said, I just really have one rule, and that's just do the right thing. And if you do the right thing always you know, it'll always take care of it the right way. And, uh, that was his kind of philosophy. And I've tried to live by that and it's helped me. I didn't always make the right decision, but, um, he also said, Hey, if you don't do it the right way, just make sure you step forward and, and, uh, and, and, you know, call yourself out on it and, and then just start going in the right direction.
0: Do you still do that today with your kids? Do you say do the right thing or do you have that sort of mentality?
7: I do. That's, um, that's really, I think, you know, my three sons, who two of them have been Division One baseball players, and have gone through this whole thing, and um, they're great young men uh, who are going to be very successful. And uh, I think they'd say the same thing. I tried to keep it pretty simple. Um, they did a lot of the right things. They they handled their business the right way. But uh, um, just you know, again, if you just always do the right thing, do what your gut tells you, most of the time it's going to work out really well for you.
0: The future of college athletics, man, we talk about this every day on the show. It comes up in some form or fashion. What do you think college sports looks like five years from now, ten years from now?
7: Well, it's really in a, as you say, it's in a really uh, unsettled time, um, really transformational time. Look, I'm on record a lot. I say this every time. I'm a believer in the college sports model. I'm a believer in student athletes. I'm a believer it's the most powerful experience, maybe next to the military, that you can have. And you know, competing at a high level, being in an academic environment, trying to get through school, growing as a young person. I mean, I think the adversity, the challenges, the successes that you have, the failures you have, all just really prepare you for life. I think too often today we take that for granted and we take the opportunity to go to college and get a college degree for granted, get a scholarship for granted. Now, I'm not naive enough to think that it, it has to stay that, it'll only stay that way. I want to grow and and help student-athletes, but I think the fundamental principles, you know, it's the only place in the world we do this, that we have college and sports combined. Um, And that's pretty neat. That's pretty powerful. Uh, As we continue to grow and mature and expand, I hope we can always preserve what's good about it. Um, Now, I'm a pro, you know, name, image, likeness. I'm a pro benefit to student-athletes. We want to share and do more things. But uh, let's not forget some of the good things that we have there. And uh, that's going to take some hard work by all of us as we continue to go forward um, and not lose our way and not over-professionalize this thing because, uh, again, like I said, where I started. I, I believe there's real power in the college sports model.
0: Yeah, and I, I just I kind of wonder where, you know, will the Pac-12 end up where the SEC ends up? and I And I'm hopeful that everybody kind of finds some common ground. And then what happens to D2, D3, you know, sort of the is there a – Is there a fork in the road here for, you know, the Power Fives and others? And, you know, I think those things are all on the horizon. But can you afford to look too far into the distance when you need to manage day-to-day? Or how do you balance that? Well,
7: I think that's a challenge for athletic directors, for presidents, for, you know, athletic staff is how you live in the moment, how you get from, you know, game to game, uh, month to month, year to year. Uh, make sure that you are engaged and your feet are on the ground and you're helping the student-athletes that are with you, but also you know, having your eye on the on the future and how you can continue to grow your programs and move them forward. Uh, it's a delicate balancing act. And, uh, again, so much of our decisions, I, it, <clears throat> you know, I spend less time, unfortunately, on what I love, and that's being around student-athletes and seeing them excel and grow. And you know, more time thinking about, hey, how are we going to finance this? What are we going to do? How do we keep the next coach? How do you, how do you pay for the next thing that's on the horizon? Um, you know, how do you fund certain things? That that you know, you spend more time on that. But uh, but it's very, it's become very complex. It, um, it 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 it's important. We want the revenues so we can kind of continue to do the good things for the student athletes. But. Uh, but it, it's challenging. There's no doubt about it, John. It's very challenging. And uh, that's uh, you know, with my, when I talk to my colleagues, it's, it's hard on all of us as we you know, get, you get stretched so thin. And, and a, a lot of times we fear the unknown so much. We spend a lot of time on the future when we don't even know what it's really going to be. Um, but yet we're, we, we grind and grind and grind and worry about that way out there when we, when we probably should take a step back and allow it to evolve and then react accordingly
0: yeah it's such a that's a valuable lesson for us all right like you know i think we all get we get caught up in that do you get to take batting practice do you get any fun on this job like will will the arizona baseball team let dave hickey take some hacks in the in the cage
7: well i don't know if they want to see me take hacks but uh <laughs> I, I do i love to be around that, you know I, I i got a chance to travel with our women's softball team they had a remarkable run went to the college world series after a kind of a rugged start and Ends up being finishing seventh in the country, but uh, I thought it was pretty cool. I got to dive in the pool after they, after they clinched the, <laughs> the game to go into the, uh, the College World Series. And I've hit a few fungos out at baseball, and I love to be around at practice. I love yeah. to watch our games and see our kids excel, and it's kind of their exam day. I, are we prepared? Did we do the right things? And, and um, win or lose, I love to see how they react to that.
0: Love that. Dave Hickey, thanks for joining us. I'm sure there are a lot of people in, uh, in the state of Oregon, as this show airs statewide, that that know you and remember you. Thanks for your work uh, in this state, and keep doing what you're doing at Arizona. I look forward to seeing you down the road.
4: Uh,
7: thanks a lot, John. Thanks for having me. And yeah, Those were good days at Oregon, and uh, again, congratulations to that program. It's a wonderful program. We're proud to be partnering with them here in this great conference, the Pac-12.
0: Dave Hickey, University of Arizona Athletic Director. Good stuff there. Love what he had to say, too, about not getting – like, it's very easy to get your eye off the ball. We all do it, right? Very easy to forget what's important uh, or what's urgent, what's important, right? Like, you know, there's a difference between those two things. Anna said that to me the other day. She said, you know, you got to ask yourself, are you doing what, you know, you need to do or are you doing what is important or are you doing what what is urgent or, you, you know, we all get caught up in like, yeah, what is important? What are those things? Our big splash is coming up. Leave it here.
1: Back to the bald-faced truth with John Canzano on 750 The Game.
0: No need to play the benchmark. I'm just going to give our big splash for the day because I'm kind of up against the break here. Kelly Graves, University of Oregon women's basketball coach, coming up on the other side of the break, by the way. The news of the day, how about Arizona State? The APR rankings are out, the NCAA's academic progress rate. Stanford knocked off of the top spot in the Pac-12 for the first time. The new number one, Arizona State. Tell you more about that coming up.
1: (laughs) B-F-F-T from the Pac West Center in downtown Portland. Presented by High Caliber Millwrights, here's John Canzano with the bald Face Truth.
0: weekend coming up, Father's Day weekend. Remember Dad. Also remember, Worlds of Sport is happening at the Oregon Convention Center. What's your world? Memorabilia? Esports? Ducks, beavers, blazers, timbers, thorns, winterhawks, hops. Portland State, plus a bunch of great brands like Portland Gear, Columbia, Dutch Bros, a lot of giveaways. I don't know if your kids are into kicking field goals and throwing pitches against a radar gun or going through an obstacle course or making a putt, but you can do all of that at the Oregon Convention Center Saturday and Sunday coming up this weekend, 10 a.m. to 7 p.m. on Saturday, 10 a.m. to 5 p.m. on Sunday, great way to celebrate Father's Day weekend. You can go to worldsofsport.com to get tickets. I do have a giveaway courtesy of Dutch Bros. Good people at Dutch Bros want you to go to Worlds of Sport. I have a four pack of tickets to go to Worlds of Sport. Let's go 503-417-7575 if you want to win those tickets and get to see Worlds of Sport this weekend. Sean is standing by to declare a winner. If you would like a four-pack of tickets and bring the whole family. Our next guest, Kelly Graves, University of Oregon women's basketball coach. Hell of a guy, okay? This guy, you know, I do a lot of radio shows, and sometimes it it gets very insular, like you do the show, and you're alone in the studio, or maybe Anna's in the studio, and then over time you kind of wonder, like, you know, was that as funny as it sounded? Did that segment work? Kelly Graves gave me some feedback yesterday, he happened to be in his car with his family driving, and he was listening to this radio show. Give me a critique. What's working, what's not working, Coach?
8: Well, anytime you have Ann on, it works. Big I, I, the, well, no, 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 no. Listen now, yeah. okay, the banter between the two of you is really, really good. And my wife, you know, who doesn't listen to sports talk radio that Austin, uh, she actually really enjoyed it. And, uh, some of the stuff you were talking about, like, uh, you know, when she was talking about going to Farrell's ice cream after, uh, wins or, or the season or whatever that hit home to Mary. She, she said, Oh, I remember doing that. You know, she was an athlete when she was younger and shared in the same experience. So, No, I'll give you, I'll
0: critique you good and bad. That's kind of what we do as coaches, right? That's right. Damn right. Like, I want to get better. Like, does that work with players? Give me an idea, because you deal with a lot of different personalities, and I think we forget sometimes they're human, but coaches never forget that, because sometimes you can give criticism to one player in a way that maybe second player isn't as receptive to. Do you find that in coaching?
8: Well, I think that's the toughest part of coaching is, you know, we call it pulling the right strings, right? You just you don't know going in what's going to work with each player. You know, Sabrina could take hard coaching. She would use that as motivation uh, to get better. Others, other players, you know, if you, if you critique them or you get on them at all, they go into a shell. And, uh, and sometimes it's hard to get out. You know, some players appreciate honesty and others don't. So, uh, and I sometimes, you know, struggle with that because I'm, I'm pretty honest. I don't really play games. I'm, I'm right up front. And I, that's how I liked being coached and, uh, you know, but it doesn't work with everybody.
0: Do you find that there are any kind of trends in that world? Like, do you find that better players are more receptive, less receptive, or is it, is it just case by case always?
8: Well, it's always case by case. I, I, you know, listen, I think we're trending toward, you know, every, everybody wants their, their back padded uh, for everything, <laughs> you know. Mm-hmm. And uh, there's, a, there's a great movie out there. I'd recommend it. You may have seen it. It's called Whiplash. Okay. And, uh, and in that, there's a scene where the teacher tells the pupil, you know, the two worst words in the English language are good job. You know, and uh, too many times we we use that as coaches. Hey, you know, when they make even just a a remedial play, hey, good job. And so you're sometimes reinforcing average play. Yeah. And uh, anyway, it's a fascinating movie. You should uh, you should watch it sometimes. The parallels with with athletics are uh, are stark. You know, it's, it's pretty good.
0: I love that. Uh, Kelly Graves with us, University of Oregon women's basketball coach. Uh, We we were talking yesterday about going to pizza after we win a Little League game. Do you ever take your team out? Like when you're on the road, is there a special thing you'll do if, you know, you guys play really well? You know, is there any kind of carrot that you you dangle?
8: Well, you know, it's funny. We did that a couple years ago when we clinched the championship down at one of the Arizonas. Uh, We went out for ice cream after. (laughs) <laughs> and uh, I remember tweeting about it, and it was, uh, it was pretty cool. It was fun. But, uh, yeah, I've done that. You know, I coached all three of my boys Little League for, gosh, probably a total of nine or ten years. And, you know, I don't know how many – you were talking about Round Table Pizza. That was our go-to spot in, in Spokane. And uh, we spent a lot of time there. Uh, you know, it's funny, though. I, I was that Little League coach big guy that, you know, the first meeting we had, I said, listen, we don't do trophies and we don't do treats. Yeah. But if you want to have a great time and you want to learn the game of baseball, then this is the right program. And, uh, you know, it's really funny. Those kids, after the first game, they go, hey, coach, where's our treat? Where's our treat? They go, oh, we don't do treats on this team. And they go, oh, okay. It's, to them, it's no big deal. I think it's a parent thing. Yes. With the treats. <laughs>
0: Yeah, we, we, th- we expect the kid's going to ask for a trade. You know, I, I want to be traded to another team that, that does treats. But you're right. That's kind of a – I think the trophies are for the parents too because I can remember getting those crappy trophies. And if it wasn't a championship trophy or if it wasn't a team that I really loved, i got to be honest with you, I I, uh, I wasn't that interested in the trophy.
8: Uh, I'm with you. I'm with you. And, listen, I had some powerhouse teams. I mean, how's this for a lineup? I was telling you yesterday – I had Murderer's Row. Yeah. Okay. okay. I had three D one athletes on my little league team. One of them was you remember Evan Weaver? Yeah. The linebacker from Cal, first and while Pac twelve. How was my cleanup hitter? What? Uh, I mean, dude, he was that size as a as a ten year old too. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, just huge. Just mashed the ball. Max Rice, uh, the the men's coach uh, at Boise State. It's his son who also plays there. D one basketball player was my three hitter. Will, my son, Division one athlete. Uh, Mark's you son, AJ, was on that team, and uh, we we had our way with the uh, Spokane South Hill Little League. The
0: That's Red Sox, amazing. Maybe. The Red
8: Sox in Spokane. And, and then I always got since I was a women's basketball coach. I always got the girls that signed up for for the league. Yeah. and they were good I mean yes. at that age the girls are every bit as good as the boys so
0: we were loaded so did you guys win at all did you get you know, did you go to Williamsport what you know why not
8: <laughs> no I don't I think we were still too young I think that's the 11 12 year old yeah. 13 14 I don't know I think we were still too young but yeah I got the little league in the spring i I loved it I other dads did the basketball during the winter I did the and then others did the football in the fall, but spring was my time to 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 spend time.
0: I love that. Did you, you get know, a chance? You had a graduate. Did you have a you know? Didn't you have a graduation that happened?
8: Yeah, yeah. will graduated from Gonzaga uh, uh, last month, so we had the opportunity to go up there and spend some time. And pretty neat deal, man. Pretty neat. You're gonna get now. He's they're gonna... all done. They're all, you know. He he was the third. How does that feel? <laughs> uh, I mean, it's okay. He's still got a year. He's he's heading to southern uh, Southern Oregon to play one year for the Raiders, his graduate year uh, for his good buddy Matt Zosel, who just got the head job there. It's awesome, and uh, he's really excited and looking forward to it.
0: I think that's what's the, I, You know, everyone wants to talk about what's wrong with college athletics and all the you know things that they don't like. I like that move because it's one of those things that's right with college athletics because he's going somewhere to play somewhere because of the experience like he's not jumping in the portal because some coach told him the wrong thing he kind of got that gonzaga experience getting to go to the tournament and be on a team that was phenomenal now he gets a chance he wants to go play is that right
8: he does yeah that's that's what uh made the decision plus he really uh likes matt matt worked him out and actually coached him here at lane and and uh so yeah it's it's a it's a good match and I love Ashland. Ashland's a cool little town. I heard you talking about taking your show on the road. I think yeah. that would be, that's a great place down there.
0: Love that. We
8: Kelly. can do your show and then go to a Shakespeare play. How's that? We can I go love to it. Coriolanus or something.
0: We'll do, yeah, we'll be a center stage right there at the theater in Ashland. Kelly Graves is with us. Uh, let me ask you this. I saw something you posted on Twitter, and you're a great follow on Twitter. I, I think among coaches in the Pac-12, you might be the best follow. But you posted a video on a plane. There was a guy playing the violin. What the hell is going on on that thing? Dude, I, I mean,
8: seriously, how many times have you gotten on TikTok or Insta or whatever, and you see all these people fighting on airplanes, right? Yeah. That's like a thing now, I guess. I don't know. And so I'm flying from, I think, Phoenix to San Diego, uh, doing some recruiting last month. And some guy, one row behind me, gets up and starts playing his violin in the middle of the aisle. He goes for like 10 minutes. It was amazing. It was beautiful. You know what I mean? I mean, we focus on all that negative, And so I figured, you know what? I'm going to take a little video of that and post it and, and show that there's still some uh, loveliness in this world, you know? Yes.
0: I like that because when I first saw the video, I thought, uh-oh somebody didn't wear a mask or somebody's in a bad mood or there's some Karen on the plane and all of a sudden guy starts playing the violin. Did he ask you guys, did he say, Hey, do you mind? Or did he start playing?
8: Well, he may have, I have my headphones when I'm, Hey, listen, when I'm on a plane, <laughs> yeah. I don't care who's next to me or around me. I, I got my thing going on. I, I don't want to talk or anything like that, but you know, he was, I, I could hear it. And so, uh, anyway, I stopped, paid attention, and it was uh, it was pre- it was pretty cool, pretty cool deal. He got a, a big applause at the end, and you know, I, I, I debated whether to put it on social media because you know what happens next? There's going to be that guy that starts saying, "Well, he that's unsafe. He shouldn't be there." Right? You know, when the flights going on and on and on and on. But uh, I don't think I got anybody that said anything negative.
0: Yeah, you can't get too swept up or too worried about one or two people or just unhappy, though, you know, because it's all over social media. It can be one person, it's the vocal minority, who's having a bad day, who wants to take it out on you, and, and does so because it's impersonal. There's, they're at arm's length.
8: Yeah, I think I've actually reached out to you. I've texted you for some advice on that a couple of times, and I, I liked your advice to me. You said, don't put them on the stage with you. Yep. I thought that was pretty good advice, so...
0: Yeah, you don't see like above it. you don't see Jerry Seinfeld calling the heckler up to the stage. You know, like that, You know, that's his stage. Let him have it. That's yeah, Kelly. That's yeah, your he's... stage. Hey, uh, how's your team looking? You, you're going into a summer here. I know everyone's scattering, but how you feeling about it?
8: Oh, I feel real good. I we were just talking today. We had uh, our graduation was yesterday, and so uh, you know, I think our players start to roll in mid July. You know, for a couple of months of summer school. And I love my guard line. I, I think we're as good at, uh, at, at the guards as anywhere in the country. When you start with, you know, uh, Tina Pow Pow and Indy Rogers, both first team All-Pac-12. So you're talking about major conference, you know, uh, All-Pac-12 performers, as well as Taya Hansen, who's coming in as a graduate transfer from Arizona State, an All-League player. And then, you know, you have Chance Gray, one of the, you know, she's a, a top five ranked high school player, a legitimate McDonald's All-American. Elise uh, Elise Hurst back from last year, she had a nice year for us. And then Jenna Asai, another, you know, the Arizona Player of the Year the last two years. So uh, six really good guards. I, I would put that guard line up against any in the, in the country. And, um, yeah, and then, you know, inside you've got Sedona and Philly at the five. Kennedy Basham, a six-seven athlete coming in. And Grace Van Sleuten, uh, you know, a five-star uh, freshman. Uh, at the four, she's playing right now in in Argentina for Team USA and U18 team, and then Taylor Hosendov. So, really, I we're we're 11. That's all we've got, which is fine in this day and age. You know, you get more than that, and everybody gets upset because they're not playing. Mm-hmm. Uh, so, I really like my crew. I we're going to be tested. Uh, I can't tell you a couple of the games I've got scheduled, but it's pretty impressive our schedule next year. We're going to be we're going to be tested early.
0: You got to go see Sabrina play. You got to go see Courtney VanderSloot play. What was that like to be at a WNBA game and, and kind of just watch what was happening out there?
8: Incredible. We we had an awesome experience in New York, took the whole family for the whole week, went to two Liberty games, and Sabrina played, you know, phenomenally in both. Actually was rewarded yesterday by, the you know, with the WNBA Player of the Week. But yeah. the game on Sunday... Uh, between her and, and Vandersloot, who I got to coach at Gonzaga for four years, was incredible. I mean, Sabrina goes for a triple-double. I think she had like 20, 25, 13, and 12. Uh, Courtney uh, Darnier had a triple-double herself, but she did make the game-winning three at the buzzer. Uh, but it was just so much fun to, A, be able to, to, to watch such high-level basketball, and we were right down there on the floor. In fact, one of the games we sat right behind Ben Simmons and Seth Curry, which to me is okay, that's pretty cool, but to my three boys, they were like <laughs> in heaven. Yeah. And they uh, also got to chat up uh, David Jacoby uh, from Jalen Jacob- and Jacoby a little bit as well. So they, they had a blast. It was It was a lot of fun, but to see those two, and especially Sabrina, excel, the way she she is right now, I'm just so happy for. Uh, they love her in New York, and they should. Uh, I think she's still going to be the face of the uh, of the league here soon. I,
0: I think Portland needs a WNBA team. Here's my plan: Kelly Graves is coaching it. Uh, Sabrina is is uh, either traded for her or in the expansion draft. She becomes property of Portland. Get the band back together. <laughs>
8: Well, has, has it worked for uh, the Beatles and <laughs> the, the others? <laughs> the Eagles? <laughs> you know, I, I, I don't know. I, I, do love your, I, I do love the WNBA in Portland. It, it's a no-brainer to me. The Thorns are a huge success, right, uh, you know, uh, at the turnstile. Yep. And you've got two of the best fan bases in the country. I mean, we were, I don't you know, top five in the nation in attendance last year, and I think Oregon State's always top 15. So, yeah, you, you get a beaver on that uh, on that team and a duck or two, and the fans will come out.
0: Have you seen Top Gun Maverick? I have. Well, yeah. what would you
8: think? Uh, okay, movie critic time, huh? Yep. I actually really liked it. Now, I yep. love the original, okay? Yep. Uh, upgrade in the Kelly McGillis role as well in the second mm-hmm. one. Yep. Definite. I mean, I guess she was something back then. I, I, you know, I was a little younger, but I thought it was really good. Um, definitely worth the, uh, well, we saw it in New York. It was 15 bucks. I don't know what it is in, in Portland, but it was definitely worth the 15 bucks.
0: I love that. Yeah, I thought it was fantastic. Uh, it is Father's Day week. I want to ask you about your dad. What, uh, give me a story about your dad. Help us get to know a little bit. Did he coach your teams? Did, what did he instill in you uh, that you still carry today?
8: Uh, that he just loved me and supported me. He, he knew sports, but he didn't try to coach me every game, and I, I really appreciated that. Uh, he, he was loud when he got to the games, but, but not obnoxious loud. He was loud because he was uh, a real supportive uh, dad. Uh, different era you know, he wasn't at every practice. He didn't drive me everywhere. If I wanted to go to practice, I either rode my bike or found a ride or walked. Uh, but when it was game time, he, he was always there. And I, I really appreciate that later on as I, as I was coaching, uh, you know, he tried to get to as many games. I, I wish now I would have gotten him to more games. Um, that's one of the regrets I have, but, uh, but always just so supportive and, when we had tough losses, uh, even while I was a coach, you know, I would always call him and he would give me advice or just pump me up or, you know, whatever. Uh, I, I really miss him. You know, it's been now about nine years since he passed. But, uh, uh, you know, I, I miss him. He was a great dad.
0: Hey, that's great. And I think, you know, you, I know that you're a great dad. I can see the time and the effort that you put in. And, and you know, your dad's showing up. You said something there that, you know, when it was game time, he was always there. I, I, I feel like, you know, it was graduation time, you're there. That's what a good dad does. You show up.
8: Yeah, yeah. And, you know, my, I, uh, I, my favorite Father's Day remembrance as a current dad, okay, mm-hmm. happened in 2015. Okay. I was golfing with my three boys. So foursome, on, a, on that Father's Day Sunday, right after Jordan Spieth had won, up at Chambers Bay. Okay. Number two, baby, Eugene Country Club, 200 yards. I hit my hybrid, hole in one. So I, it was with all three of my boys on Father's Day. Couldn't have gotten better.
0: That's amazing. What'd you do? Did you go running up there? Like, did you see it go in, or did you? No, were you surprised? because you
8: know it was later in yeah. the afternoon, the sunset, and if you know ECC, you know that's you're looking into the west. And all three of the boys said, Dad, great shot. And Will goes, Dad, I I think you're pretty close. And I I didn't pay much attention, but we all started walking up, and I couldn't see the ball. And I'm long sometimes on that hole. And Will's the one that that saw it. He went up there, Dad, it's in. (laughs) And then we all went crazy. But, no, I didn't get to see it actually fall in the cup, which – is a regret, but it was still a pretty cool moment, especially to have all, all of my boys with me.
0: That's a great, great moment. I appreciate you giving us your time, and, and the critique of the show is always welcome. When I stink, I'm sure you'll let me know. I appreciate you, Kelly Graves. Thanks for doing what you do.
8: Oh, John, I appreciate you, too, and happy Father's Day. I know you're a hell of a dad as well, so uh, have a great day, okay?
0: Thank you. Kelly Graves, University of Oregon women's basketball coach. I love that, both. Both Dave Hickey and Kelly Graves, it was, you know, Dave Hickey talked about his dad, do the right thing, and, you know, dad being present. Kelly Graves talking, too, about uh, his dad, you know, his dad didn't drive him everywhere. He wasn't at every practice, but it was game time. Dad was there. I want you to leave it here. you got the bald-faced truth.
1: You've got the home of the truth. Back to the bald-faced truth with John Canzano on 750 The Game.
0: I don't think it's ever too early to start talking about Father's, Father's Day, all that stuff coming up this weekend. Anna's in the studio. Kelly Graves gave you high praise in the last segment. Oh. I asked him when the show was at its best. He said, when you're on the show. <laughs> the banter back and forth. Oh, good. And his wife, Mary, enjoyed hearing about your Farrells experience. For people who didn't hear yesterday, Anna thought Farrells was a local you know, establishment. Yeah. She didn't know it was a chain. The old Farrells. You know, restaurants, I guess. Were they restaurants? We call them restaurants? Oh, yeah. 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 Uh, what happened to ferals It's no longer. No, yeah. I,
9: they're still around. Are they? I think. I've seen them here or there, but they're not as popular, I think, as they used to be. But I think a lot of people have that experience. A lot of people probably thought their local ferals was... You know, but credit to Farrell's for making it feel that way.
0: Right? Applebee's does that now. They, I mentioned that yesterday. They fool you into, it's your neighborhood place, but we all know it's not. It's a chain. But they have some local, uh, le- we're going to fool you while you're waiting to get a table stuff on the walls. Yeah. Inside the restaurants. Yeah. Um, the other one is, um, you know, I used to travel a lot. And it used to be like when you went to Boston or Miami. Or San Francisco or Phoenix you could buy something you could only get in those towns
9: yeah
0: like if like if I was gonna bring something back for the girls so Mm -hmm. to speak yeah you could buy something that was unique to those towns now you go through it's all the same crap it's just (laughs) everybody's got everything everywhere I think we've lost some of that provincial feel two things mm-hmm. don't you
9: yeah it's like the same souvenir shop but they just slap a different city name yeah. on the trinket
0: yeah you go like it's everything's hello kitty and a snow globe you know what <laughs> i mean and it it used to be like you could go somewhere and you could get something you could only get in that town yeah or and i even think globally that has changed because and i, and I don't want to blame amazon but it's part of the issue is like this you know sort of the uh, the the global feel to commerce now—we've mm-hmm. lost identity. Like mm-hmm. you don't know, you wouldn't know you're in Indianapolis, or you wouldn't know you're in Cleveland or Detroit or Phoenix, except if you step outside and you look at the weather or you check a license plate or whatever. You don't have anything that is unique to those cities, like in the airport or. You know, even with shopping or whatever around. You know what I mean? Yeah. That's why I appreciate
9: like the dive bar and dive restaurants that I know are throughout Oregon and Washington.
0: I I went to Tulsa, Oklahoma one time and they had a place called the Buccaneer Bar. Yeah. It was near the arena where Tulsa basketball was played. Mm -hmm. And at the Buccaneer Bar, you walk in, they had live music. And in the back, they had a bar. And then next to the bar, they had a table and they had a Crock-Pot on the table. <laughs> the first time I was there, I was like, what's in the Crock-Pot? And yeah. they said, Sloppy Joes. And they give you a bun. They don't, there's no charge. You just get a Sloppy Joe while you're waiting there. And it's like somebody's house. <laughs> like, you know, you can make a, you know. And you know what a Sloppy Joe is, don't of you? Course. Judah, do you know what a Sloppy Joe is? I do. Okay. When's the last time you had a Sloppy Joe?
2: in a minute
0: go to the buccaneer bar in tulsa <laughs> i'm not sure you can get a sloppy joe anywhere else in america that's not true where who's serving a sloppy joe right now in the state of oregon nobody
9: like i said nobody. some restaurant somewhere probably a small rural town
0: that's what i'm talking about though Rain- might even Rainbow be out of a crock pot <laughs> get oregon. your sloppy joes here <laughs> but i think that we uh we've lost a little bit of that no. you know i think we need to recapture that mm-hmm And I think it's evident, too. Like, I remember being in Beijing for the Olympics in 2008. We went to the silk market. Yeah. Everything in that market was a ripoff of something in America. I know. It was a ripoff Samsonite bag. It was a ripoff, you know, whatever, belt, phone. Yeah. Name it. Movie, DVD. Didn't matter. (laughs) Like, it was just a duplication of something American. Because they covet, I guess, what is, you know, an American thing oh for sure yeah
9: they're really into brands the like Chinese culture
0: I just think of there, there it's fewer and fewer places you can go now where you get like a real experience yeah you know maybe the Alamo in San Antonio like like the stores around the Alamo you don't find that stuff in Cleveland
9: mm-hmm. but
0: I just remember one time you and I were at a Sun Bowl I think the uh, Ducks were playing in a Sun Bowl
9: was that El Paso yeah,
0: yeah. And, I, and I think Justin Roper was at quarterback <laughs> That's right for Oregon back in the day. That's been a while. And we ventured into Mexico. Yeah. Do you remember that? I do. And it, it wasn't felt
9: so easy to just go. Across. It was. <laughs> it was back walked. in the day.
0: <laughs> and and here's the other thing. It wasn't like fun Mexico. <laughs> it was Juarez.
9: Yeah. It was
0: kind of sketchy Mexico.
9: Yeah, but it was still a
0: good day. It was sketchy. It was daylight. Yeah. I, I have a feeling that. In the evening in Juarez, the shadows move. Well, we didn't you know? know any
9: better because we went by day. To, we were like, we're so close. Let's go to Mexico. And there was like a day festival going on in a square. There was dancing. Yeah, it was cool. There was a mariachi band. There were street vendors. I bought a pair of jeans that smelled yeah. like chicharrones.
0: Chicharrones.
9: Chicharrones and it was a great day. And then I remembered we got back to the hotel that night, walked back across the border. It was so simple. And uh, we started to read about Juárez and the well, horrible things that had happened there like yeah. the human trafficking. Women
0: are missing in yeah. Juárez. It's it's a it's a uh, trafficking capital of the world yeah. maybe but it was what got me was somebody had taken uh crosses and planted them on a hillside as you leave juarez yes and there were white crosses and it was hundreds and hundreds and hundreds and what, each cross designated a missing woman Ugh. and it was like what is going on with that google it oh yeah, like, you know, we were not so unaware, not safe to be there yeah. because people just go missing and especially go missing at night. But those jeans still smell like chicharrones. <laughs> That's the thing. You bought these jeans in Juarez. You bought a pair of jeans for like five bucks off of street vendors. I know. And I was like, those smell like pork rinds
9: <laughs> because they and, were selling pork rinds yeah. right across. The way they
0: still smell like pork, rinds.
9: Yeah, they're like embedded in the threads.
0: But 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 that is like that's an example of something unique that you buy somewhere. Judy, do you know what, Sean, do you know what I'm talking about? Like, you can't go anywhere anymore and get something that says I was like you could just hold it up and people would know, oh, you're in Peoria, Illinois. No, we don't have that anymore.
6: Yeah, yeah, I get it. I still think there's some of that. Like, I'm going to Bend this weekend, and I know for a fact that Sisters, Oregon, has my favorite granola. And so I will be stopping at that specific bakery. But I do (laughs) do see... I do see why Amazon... What's so
0: special about this? It's, it's really good. I have it's really to sugary.
6: Know. Uh, What's I think so it's, like an orange, it? it's like an orange granola. Um, so it's got like an orangey, like fruitish flavor. It's really, really delicious. But, uh, you know, for the most part, I, I see what you're saying, how Amazon's kind of taken it away.
0: This is fascinating. This show never ceases to impress me. I've got say a granola, please. Oh.
6: Granola. <laughs> Can
0: you say John granola, granola
2: with... again? Go ahead.
6: Granola granola (laughs) (laughs) it's just beautiful
0: it is just rolls right off his tongue crack in this granola granola can
9: you name the place where you get this special granola?
6: sister's bakery oh yeah okay aptly
9: named aptly named
6: yeah
0: (laughs) so you get granola at sister's bakery that is you can't get anywhere else in the world
6: yeah you know my my dad used to pick it speaking of the Father's Day theme today, my dad used to pick it up to me and now like he used to go there for work and every single time he went to Banders Sisters, I told him to get that granola and I haven't Aww. tasted anything like it. I bet you there's
0: a part of this if you're gonna be real, it that is sentimental to you and that's part of why it tastes that granola tastes good. I'm not saying it doesn't because it probably does, but there is a that your dad was thinking of you. See mm-hmm. that's the connection. Mm-hmm. yeah, you're right. you're totally right. Someday Sean's going to have a pack of kids, and he's going to give him this granola. We don't know
9: that.
0: And he's going to look upon it fondly, and I'll tell you what they're going to do. They're going to take one bite and go, this is terrible. And then Sean's going to be like, no, damn it, you're going to eat that damn granola. (laughs) It's the best granola in the earth,
9: you know? We need to get Sean a date first. How do you know he
0: doesn't have a date? Do not have a
6: date.
0: See? (laughs) We've discussed this. Get swiping, Sean. He's working on it. Come on, buddy. Swiping. (laughs) Get
9: swiping. Or make eye contact and engage in conversation with the people around you, say, at the sister's bakery as you're picking up your granola.
0: Oh, what if he was in the bakery line and he meets somebody else who's like, this is the greatest granola ever?
9: That's what I'm saying. Guys, get off your phones. Like You could be standing in line. This is my pet peeve about dating these days and what i see are you involved
0: in dating these no days? What no else is i have on? no i need to interest. Know?
9: no but like
2: <laughs> father's it, day Josh.
9: <laughs> yeah it drives me crazy because these these young people god i sound so old the young people are saying oh it's so hard to meet people it's so hard to meet people mm. but the thing is if you happen to be in a public place you could be meeting the love of your life and that person could be standing right in front of you in line somewhere or next to you at a bus stop. Somewhere. and But you won't notice because your head is buried in your phone. Maybe you're on a dating app, which may not prove fruitful for you, except if you just looked up, you might meet the person that you're supposed to be. I think, with.
0: Anna, what you're saying is you need to get your at-bats. Like, for example, Henry Aaron, 755 home runs. Everybody knows that number. Judah, you would have known that off the top of your head. But – nobody talks about 1383 what's that that's how many strikeouts henry aaron had there you go 1383 yeah henry aaron got some at bats sean needs to get some ab's he needs to be talking to people even if he strikes out look around it's okay look around he'll hit some home runs i also think sean should give us access to his tinder account and let (laughs) us do some of that have some fun with that
9: no no don't do that bad idea don't you think there's a whole
0: generation of people our age who missed out on being able to swipe and judge people
6: out on anything honestly (laughs) i like anna's method a lot more
0: (laughs) don't you think like don't don't
9: you ever like i'm a big fan of that movie sliding doors and i just think like there are moments in life where you just gotta look up and look around and see who's around you and take the chance start a conversation and try to like have a real connection with somebody and we're also buried in our phones and i'm guilty of it too but i've met my person we're also buried in our phones that we're we might be missing those kind of don't you think that
0: we're missing them in general even if it's not about dating like we're just missing conversations or moments in life yes we're gonna look back and we're all gonna be on our deathbeds going i should have put my phone down for sure and lived a little more yeah but i still think there's there is a little fomo going on with kind of our generation yeah these kids are having all the fun judging each other based on their photos (laughs) i think there's something kind of fun about looking at somebody and going nope (laughs) you know (laughs) just make a blanket judgment based on their best photo (laughs) your best photo lady nope You know what I mean? Because you know everybody, nobody's putting their worst photo on, on yeah. those dating apps. Yeah. You know it's like that's that's the best they got.
9: Do you need to get on a dating app just for fun? I just Do need to need look to like... over
0: Sean's shoulder and be like, no, 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 swipe, swipe, swipe. <laughs> oh, I, yes. I,
6: I feel like tw- like maybe 25% of the time I, jo- I I join the show, turn on my mic, Tinder comes up. I don't know why. Yeah. I'm just associated with Tinder on this show. Yeah, I don't on I'm that. sorry. I'll you're think. the Tinder guy. I'm the you're Tinder, the Tinder guy, guy, I guess. Uh,
0: Sam's in Vancouver. Has something to add to the conversation. Go ahead, Sam.
5: Yeah, so, I mean, I, I got to agree with Anna on that, that the, the in-person is so much better and everything. But for a person like me who doesn't go out and, you know, doesn't drink, go, doesn't go to bars or anything like that, it's kind of hard. But the Internet dating, man, is just it, – it's unfortunate that it's all about the pictures and everything because I've been doing little uh, – I guess a little psychological tests in it. I've been uh, going through my app and like changing my profile in certain ways of personalities. The one thing I found was that when I removed my profile picture, I had gotten more likes. And then actually this person over the weekend, she was like, "Why well, are you secretive? I says, hey, I just want to see who's out there. And I send her a picture, didn't hear anything back. And I says, hey, if there's no, no attraction, we're adults here. We can, you know, talk you know, whatever, and she unmatched me. So that's kind of the stuff that you deal with Mm. on those kind of things. I mean, and it's nothing that I want to, like, base my, my, you know, oh, man, I got turned down on that. But, I mean, it was specifically, nope, not you, and off. And it's like, well, all right, I guess, cool.
0: Yeah, you know what we need to do? Get her on the show. We need to get her exactly side.
9: What I'm <laughs> <laughs> but like, here's the thing: you go to a grocery store, right? Do you sometimes go to a coffee shop? I'm just talking about like, I'm not even saying you have to be like bar hopping because you know that's kind get of your a, head on a
0: swivel. That's is what you're tricky
9: in its own right. Yeah. But it's just whatever like public space that you're in, you know, especially if that's the what you're facing is people that aren't that it's all about the pictures and whatever, like you have the opportunity to let your opportunity shine and strike up a conversation and charm somebody in person.
0: Sam, how's that sound?
5: That sounds pretty good, but, but I've been single for a little bit and, and I hate to bring, you know, issues into it, but, but I think with it's very hard for men to meet women out there. It's, it's women are, are very cautious right now. And I'm not saying that's, that's Mm -hmm. bad or anything, but, Mm-hmm. with my experience i the last couple of people i've dated stuff has get caught up and it's like i've been thrown into that realm and i feel like i'm being unfairly judged so it's really kind of hard when you're like walking down the street or you know you see somebody at a grocery store or something and you think about approaching them but as you kind of approach you kind of see them clutching their purse or kind yeah. of like very, mm-hmm. very very to themselves it's it's very very hard especially for a guy that's yeah. going to be 45 in a couple months Well,
0: I'm going to tell you this. Get your at-bats. Henry Aaron, 1,389 strikeouts, 755 home runs. Get your at-bats. You cannot hit home runs without your at-bats. Leave it here.
1: Back to the Bald faced Truth with John Canzano on 750 The Game.
0: Worlds of Sport coming up uh, this weekend, Saturday and Sunday at the Oregon Convention Center. If you're just tuning in, we're talking about everything that a sports fan could enjoy. Your favorite teams, your favorite brands, favorite athletes. Morgan Weaver of the Thorns will be there on Saturday. Jaden Grant, Oregon State team captain, Saturday. Daley McClellan, Oregon volleyball player, Saturday at Worlds of Sport. Who else is coming to Worlds of Sport? Anna's coming to Worlds of Sport. Also, uh, Keith Brown, Oregon football player, will be there Saturday. Uh, A whole bunch of executives will be there. Mike Gall of the Timbers president on Sunday. A couple of uh, Oregon and Oregon state administrators on Sunday. Anthony Newman, former NFL defensive back, will be speaking on Sunday at Worlds of Sport. Uh, Also, Alex Molden, he'll be there Saturday and Sunday. Keenan Lowe will be there Saturday signing books, former Duck, and the uh, author of Hometown Victory, Keenan Lowe on Saturday. If you want to get a a book uh, and pick up Hometown Victory and have Keenan sign it, show up on Saturday and go to the main stage, he'll be there. He'll be signing books. It'll be a lot of fun. Uh, You're going to hear and see a lot of news coverage about the event coming up. And uh, I want to thank, uh, you know, Columbia Sportswear, Portland Gear, uh, companies like Dutch Bros, like those kind of companies, they don't have to support an event in our region, but I saw them on the list of sponsors and I went, you know what? Good on them helping bring a big sports expo to our region. I can't wait to see what it's about. Dutch Bros, by the way, wants to send a family to Worlds of Sport. Do you have, do you need four tickets to this event? These are four weekend passes for Saturday and Sunday. Uh, We'll go to caller number whatever Sean picks at 503-417-7575. If he's not busy swiping, he can pick. (laughs) So if you want a four-pack of tickets to Worlds of Sport, we have a weekend pass courtesy of Dutch Bros. Uh, You can get it by uh, calling now at 417-7575 in the 503 area code. Um, Anna, I've been asking people about their dads. Yeah. Give me something your dad instilled in you or gave you that you carry with you to this day.
9: Oh, wow. Uh, My dad instilled in me the idea that uh, life is good. I know that sounds so simple, but he is one of the most optimistic people that I've ever met, seen, gotten to know. And even when he was dealing with stage three and stage four colon cancer from which he is now in remission you wouldn't know it i mean he has like this walk that he's just not got a single care in the world i don't know where this comes from like what the source of his just daily joy (laughs) comes. he's he's really carefree he is and for that reason like i think that he's gonna live a long time like he just is such a mentally healthy person that way and has a really bright outlook on things.
0: Yeah. And I think, you know, you and I were, your dad was living in Hawaii and he was diagnosed with colon cancer. And I remember you and I were at like some hotel in Hawaii and your dad was walking down the street and we could see him walking. (laughs) Yeah. And I said, look at that guy. I wish I looked like that when I walk. I don't look like that. I look like I got a lot of... stuff on my mind yeah shoulders up by your
9: ears and no my dad walks uh almost uh duck-like so he has his legs like his feet spread almost like a ballerina yeah and then clasps his hands behind his back and then strolls like that's his walk always and um so yeah i mean even when he was doing chemo for colon cancer get your colonoscopies everybody please yeah uh he would take his chemo mobile so he had like a little fanny pack and he would go to like the senior center and play ping pong while doing chemo and i would always ask him like when i couldn't be with him in person yeah i would skype with him and say hey how are you feeling and he would say oh i'm feeling great and i could tell he had just been like you know throwing up or something he wasn't feeling great and his whole I said dad you don't need to do that you don't have to put on a pretty face for me and he said you know if I tell you that I feel great maybe I'll just feel a little bit better instead of sitting here and complaining to you about how bad I feel
0: it's interesting because people will talk about that like sometimes just if you don't like if you can just smile that it'll reframe kind of your own approach it's like Greg Bell's book what's going well, Yeah, you focus on what's going well, you know? Yeah. But your dad, I mean, and how is your dad's health now?
9: He's, he's great. He's healthy as a horse. He's like 75 years old and in remission from stage four colon cancer. He's in
0: Taiwan, though. We got to get him over here. Oh, I know. Can we just say to him, hey, we want to put you on a plane, and we don't worry about where it's going. He'd probably just get on the plane.
9: He's happy there. He's happy. He lives with all these other cancer survivors in this little mountain village, and they all have phenomenal recovery rates from whatever cancers they're facing. It's weird. It's like this little cocoon community. It's
0: not accidental. Leave it here. You got the bald-faced truth statewide. (laughs) Back to the bald-faced
1: truth with John Canzano on 750 The Game.
0: I wrote a column this morning at johnconzano.com about J.J. Burden, former University of Oregon wide receiver, played in the NFL for nine years, seven seasons with the Chiefs and the Falcons mostly. Um, And Burden... Burton played 93 games in the NFL and he played a long time. He's He remains, I guess, disappointed or frustrated with the four University of Oregon football players who declared early for the NFL draft and did not get drafted. C.J. Verdell at running back, he signed as an undrafted free agent with the Colts. Devin Williams did it with the Ravens. Verone McKinley III went to the Dolphins as an undrafted free agent. And Mikhail Wright... Uh, got invited to a rookie minicamp with the Seahawks. But Burden says these guys were lied to. They weren't ready. Whoever's advising them is unqualified or has an ulterior motive, he said. Um, he is offering, and I think Dan Lanning may take him up on this. I talked with Lanning this morning for a bit. He is offering to give those players some hard advice. He said that he wants the players to succeed. He said, in fact, he would talk to any college player who wanted an evaluation. But he said, look, it's hard to make it in the NFL, and it's even harder to stay there. And when you come into the league in a way that isn't clean and smooth and easy, it just makes it that much harder. And there's a lot of good advice there. Read it at johnkanzano.com if you're interested. The 5 at 5 coming up on the other side of the break. Anna and I are going to trade uh, big stories. I got some good ones. You better bring the heat. You going to bring the heat or no? Oh, yeah. Okay, bring the heat coming up after the break.
1: <laughs> B-F-F-T. From the Pac West Center in downtown Portland, presented by High Caliber Millwrights, here's John Canzano with the bald-faced truth.
0: bunch of stuff going on in sports we're going to catch you all up to that it is the happy hour hour number three of this show it will move fast and we'll start with the five at five it's the five biggest most important sort of things going on in the world of sports let's do it
1: the five at five
0: rory mcelroy is ripping the LIV Golf Invitational players who left the tour and joined LIV Golf. He said he's disappointed that they took the easy way out. Six-time major champion Phil Mickelson helped create the new circuit. McElroy was speaking at a news conference today ahead of the U.S. Open this week. He said he understands why aging players were tempted by millions of dollars in signing bonuses, but he thinks the younger players who left made a short-sighted decision. Look, I don't like this tournament. I don't like what it's about. I don't like that the first US stop is in our neck of the woods, but I got a hard time singling out young guys versus old guys when it comes to who's playing in this in this tournament. Guys in their late 40s, it's okay. Guys in their 50s, like Phil Mickelson, it's okay, but others, it's not. I think Rory's missing the boat here. Either it's okay or it's not okay. McElroy's 33, and he's trying to say he didn't lose respect for Mickelson as a player, but he lost respect for him as a person. You cannot splinter away the player from the person. We can't do that. We learned that here in our region. You're either a good guy or a bad guy. Number two, Anna, go. So you
9: know how we've been talking about the Boston fans and how they've been trolling the Warriors—it's yeah. it's been a topic of conversation. Uh, did you catch the T-shirt that Steph Curry was wearing during the press conference after Game Five?
0: I didn't. What did it? What did it have on it?
9: Well, I guess in Boston there were signs put up that said Aisha Curry can't cook. Oh, she's a chef. So during the press conference. Steph Curry's shirt under his zip-up jacket simply said, Aisha Curry can cook." Sticking up for his wife, I like that.
2: I love that.
0: It, he's he's backing his wife. Yes. What if she couldn't cook though? Could could he say, "I agree"? Would he <laughs> would he have a t-shirt saying, "I feel you"?
9: Well, then he would have bigger problems.
0: Well. <laughs> She's a cookbook author. Yes, she is. She owns a restaurant. Yes. She's the mother of three. Busy lady. You know? So apparently this is going around in Boston. Like some of the restaurants are putting sign. You know they have those A-frame signs that are yes. out there? Yeah. Oh. Mm-hmm. Well, mm-hmm. good for Steph Curry for having fun. They also won the Pivotal Game well, yeah, yeah. That's the ultimate three clap, to clap
9: back. There is to actually win.
0: I can't believe you said clap back.
9: I'm trying to sound cool.
0: <laughs> How's it working? She, Am I pulling it off? The clap back. Clap, she said back. Number three in our five at five. Let's go with Deshaun Watson at number three. He is reiterating his innocence against the allegations, but but he's singing a different tune today. Deshaun Watson says. He regrets the impact of the situation. What does he mean by that? I'll let you hear his words, your ears.
4: Yes, I I never assaulted, disrespected, or harassed anyone. But at the same time, I do understand that uh, I do have regrets as far as the impact that it has on the community and people outside of just myself. You know, and that includes my family, that includes this organization, that includes my teammates in this locker room that have to answer to these questions, that includes, you know, the fan base of the Cleveland Browns, that includes males, females, everyone across the the world. You know, so uh, that's one thing I do regret is the impact that it's have triggered on so many people, and um, yeah, it's, it's tough to, to have to you know do it.
2: But as far as your your actions, you don't have any regrets about anything that you've actually
4: done. You no, know, like I said, I never assaulted anyone, or I never harassed anyone, or I never disrespected anyone, or I never forced anyone to do anything. I
0: don't know. I, I don't know. I, I don't know if I'm being fair to Deshaun when I say this, but I don't know what he's supposed to say here. But I, he regrets the impact and it's tough to have to deal with the fact that people are triggered by this but then he doesn't regret any of the actions does he not understand like we're not here if there are no allegations we're not here if 24 women are not saying hey you know Deshaun did this or did that he's basically just saying he regrets that his teammates have to answer to it and then fans are upset about it i Somebody's coaching him in, in crisis management. It totally. Tot- yeah. Right? Yes. They're telling him, hey, the audience wants to hear you say that you're sorry that this is a distraction. You're going to win over a faction of people yes. if you just say, I regret the impact. Because that doesn't implicate you, but it makes you sound like you regret that You're know, at least you're sorry that you're in this position. But
9: he doubled down and said he didn't do anything wrong. I think that's the... Bigger impact statement,
0: but but he can't like legally. I, I just think he can't acknowledge that he did something wrong while he has these suits pending. Mm-hmm. But you reap what you sow, and that goes to the Cleveland Browns as well. Like the the bigger issue, like the Cle- where are the Cleveland Browns owners right now? You know, they're the ones who went and had a dinner with Deshaun and then traded for him and gave him the contract and made it. You know, they should be the ones out front telling the fan base, "Hey, we regret." that this has become such a distraction. We screwed up. We misfired. We're a bad judge of character. Or, you know, at the very least, just say, hey, this shouldn't be what we're talking about as a season's approaching. But unfortunately, this this is the Cleveland Browns. This is not the New England Patriots. This is not, like, the Los Angeles Rams. It's not a – It's this is not a franchise that has got a bunch of success. And I think this is a symptom of that. The fact that they even are entertaining Deshaun Watson. They brought the... Cleveland Browns organization brought this upon itself. Think about that. Would you choose this if you were any business? Would you say, you know what we need? Things are too peaceful. We need to trade for a guy who is going to attract national media story, national headline, three out of seven days a week. Anytime he opens his mouth... Major story and not a good one. Let's get that guy into camp for two hundred thirty million
10: dollars.
9: Yeah, <laughs> like, like what's pay that guy yeah. two hundred thirty million dollars? to give us a
0: lot of bad publicity. If you're a Cleveland Browns fan, <laughs> you're the you are a victim in this as well. There are other victims, but you're a victim. Number four.
9: I don't know if there's a victim in this story, but it's very entertaining to me. There's a guy who bills himself as fake Clay Thompson. He's even made it onto the court at the arena where the Golden State Warriors play, walking past, he claims, five layers of security, posing as Clay Thompson and having a 10-minute shoot-around on the floor before somebody figured out he wasn't the real Clay Thompson. He goes to games. He walks around outside the arena signing autographs. He's got a YouTube channel where he documents people who get so excited thinking that he's really Clay Thompson and he pulls it off but they're done. So Chase Center is telling him cease and desist. They've sent him a letter banning him from the arena and they've laid out I guess, his punishment.
0: Oh, yeah. I'm reading that letter right now. His name is Dawson Gurley. Gurley, by the way...
9: Quite a name.
0: You don't want to be... Like, your claim to fame that you look like someone else? Come on. <laughs> but he went through the employee entrance of Chase Center prior to a game with without a ticket, without a credential, without authorization. He went through. He deceived the security personnel he impersonated clay thompson the letter doesn't say clay thompson but it says you're impersonating a golden state warriors employee um (laughs) your conduct is in violation of the rules of the nba and the chase center i don't know you gotta i think you gotta be known for more than that national anthem singer is my number five in our five at five did you see this story National Anthem singer had his performance at the College World Series canceled because he made the horns down gesture before the Women's College World Series semifinal between Texas and Oklahoma State. This is a 27-year-old U.S. history teacher in the Dallas-Fort Worth area. He's an alum of Texas A&M. He uh, apparently was contacted by the NCAA and they said quote we have documented proof that you made an offensive gesture and mockery of a participating team we do not feel comfortable allowing you to perform he's been singing the national anthem at sporting events for the last 10 years including Texas A&M events he lives in College Station he roots for the Astros and the Rangers and he said I'm a neutral party but apparently he went horns down Is horns down an offensive gesture or is he just mocking the team? Horns down. Judah, Sean, help me out with horns down.
2: Uh, Texas has its own religion, so it's probably offensive down there. To me, it's just simple mocking. Duck fans do dubs down all the time.
0: Yeah, but it's that's like, awesome. Like Baker Mayfield did it, and they let Baker Mayfield play. You know? Yeah,
2: but they wouldn't let him sing the anthem.
0: <laughs> horns down. I guess you're picking a side, and maybe they don't. It's kind of petty but it's also kind of delightful. Uh, (laughs) They're saying that you're not a neutral party. You know what I mean? Yeah. So they don't want the trouble. You need the anthem singer to be a neutral party. I guess. If you are the anthem singer, stay in your lane.
9: (laughs) He says he regrets nothing. (laughs)
0: That's (laughs) what he's saying. Hey, and Deshaun Watson.
9: Hashtag horns down.
0: (laughs) All you need now is, what they should do is let Deshaun Watson sing the anthem (laughs) at this College World (laughs) Series game. And then let the anthem singer go talk to the media in Cleveland. Then the sports world will have balance finally. Punch and audio is still ahead. I want you to leave it here. You've got
1: the home of the truth. Back to the bald-faced truth with John Canzano on 750 The Game.
0: I'd want to sing the national anthem I don't think anybody wants to hear me sing the national anthem at a sporting event but if you're singing the national anthem you have to know if you're going to the sporting event you're representing both teams so you cannot go horns down in opposition to one of the teams you're supposed to be there celebrating the event so I don't blame the College World Series for telling that national anthem singer it's not about you it's not about you it's not about the umpires it should be about the players and the teams keep it to that uh, we gotta we're gonna play some Punch It Audio. It is great sound. I'm glad you're here for it. We interrupt this broadcast with a special announcement from the Truth Headquarters. Hey, we're all about
10: truth, justice, and the American way here, okay? Which is why we've spanned the globe and pulled the top audio
5: cuts of the day. you are going to hear little snippets of sound. Hey,
1: it's time for Punch It Audio. Presented by First Call Heating and Cooling.
0: Well, let's start with golf. Brooks Kepka was asked about the LIV series. He's at the U.S. Open getting ready to play this week, and he's not happy talking LIV. Here's Kepka,
3: Punch it. Last week, first Liv event. What do you make of the, the current landscape? It seems the two tours are kind of fracturing the game at the top level.
11: Yeah, I mean, obviously they're both. I mean, Liv's trying to make a big push for golf, and... Um, Look, I mean, I love my brother. I support him in anything he does. His family, thats um, I'll always love and support him. So whatever he does, it's, um, you know, I'm, I'm cheering for him.
9: We're going to go to Stephanie here on your left. Why have you decided to stay on the PGA Tour, and is that a permanent decision?
11: I mean, there's been no other option to this point. So uh, where else are you going to go? Live. I mean, as of last week, that's it. I wasn't playing last week. So I'm here. I'm here at the U.S. Open. I'm ready to play us open so and i think i think it kind of sucks too y'all are throwing this black cloud over the um the us open and i mean it's one of my favorite events and i don't know why you guys keep doing that but um you know more legs you give it the more more you keep talking about it
9: well then sorry to ask another question about it but uh not sorry enough not to do that um the in some ways it seems like they're offering something that would appeal to you you're a guy who you know, really gets out for the majors, Play really loves the majors. At the moment, it seems like it would be an opportunity to play less in between the majors and still play the majors. What, is that attractive to you or do you prefer your current setup?
11: I mean, I can come out here and play as little weeks as I want. I choose my own schedule regardless what tour I play. And come out here, I haven't played, I've played, what, match play Augusta, PGA, and this one, so I can play as little as I want.
0: Look, as a media member, I've been in those news conferences where things get a little tense. Um, I'm going to start with the media member. I don't like how she's asking her questions. She's being, I think, unnecessarily combative. Maybe to show people in the room how tough she is. I don't know. Like, I I just think she's being a little unnecessarily combative. Like, ask the question. Don't need kind of the attitude with it. And then for Kepka, I also bristled at his response when he said, "The media is giving it life. You guys that you're you're putting a cloud over this event." This is a story, and it's going to be talked about. It's interesting. It's the most interesting thing, I think, going on in major professional sports right now. It's a big-picture thing, and we all don't agree on it, and that's okay. Like I said this last week, and I'll say it again this week. Like I don't need you to agree with me on everything. Like I I don't don't particularly care for this event. I don't like that the the first U.S. stop is going to be at Pumpkin Ridge, but if you – care for it, and you want to go see it, that's okay. Like, it's not what I'm gonna do, but I just... I think Kepka would have been better off just explaining why he likes to to be on the PGA Tour, but I think his brother's playing the LIV event, and I I hate that they're calling it Liv. You know? Like, we didn't get a media guide on this, but LIV is the Roman numeral. Like, why would you pronounce Liv? We don't pronounce, like, X-I-I, do we, Judah? You see the X-I-I golf tournament? Do you go, say, you know? (laughs) Is it L-I-V or live?
2: I think that you're calling it L-I-V just to spite them at this point.
0: It's 54. That's what it's for. It's the Roman numeral L-I-V. It's 54 holes. It's L-I-V.
2: Then you're right. Then it should be called L-I-V.
0: But why are they calling it live? It's driving me crazy. Super Bowl. Do we go Super Bowl live? No. We go Super Bowl 54. So I don't know. Is Have you it, ever gotten combative in a press conference? Yeah, but not out of the not not like at the person. Like I get what Kepka's doing here. Like he doesn't want to like indict his brother's character. That's what he's saying. I love my brother. I support him in what he does. It's not for me. This is what I'm doing. I just don't understand like why it has to be jousty. You know, like, I don't think Kepka was being jousty. I do do think, you know, sorry, sorry, not sorry. Like, that's a little much for me. I don't know. Am I wrong there? Like, I I call that one a split decision. I think the media member and the golfer both need to take a chill pill.
2: I think that's right. I I, I lean more to the media member's side. I think she did a good job just staying direct, and I'm always a fan of staying direct. But I think you make a good point. It was a little combative. And Kepka I, I don't like the abdication. And uh, maybe that's just me as a media member. I always want people to have a take. And not having a take is a little disappointing. But yeah. that, that is his take. is like, oh, you know, my brother's playing it, so it's I can't rip the event. But to put it on the media for putting a black cloud over the U.S. Open, that's not the media's fault there, Brooksy. That is Phil's <laughs> yeah. fault. And you could argue the USGA's fault for... Uh, you know, for letting these guys play there. Now, you know, we'd be talking about them if the USGA banned those guys as well, so maybe.
0: But if I'm the USGA, I don't want to take a stance in that. Like, yeah. it's not my fight,
2: right? But what about and... the Masters? Because the Masters is this pivotal, you know, major that if they let past Masters winners play, like Patrick Reed and Phil Mickelson and Sergio that are playing in the live, like. Man, I don't know. That to me if I'm the PGA Tour, I'd be really really pissed about that. The
0: the the issue is sponsors in my mind. Like you have to if if the Masters has certain sponsors that are also PGA Tour sponsors, I think they have to be loyal to and support those sponsors. I don't think it's about as much about the golfers as it is the sponsors cuz that's that's the that's the lifeblood of your business. And so I think the PGA is trying to protect its sponsors by protecting the tour. If the Masters has a conflict there with a sponsor who's a PGA Tour, and they're going to let Phil and these others come in, you got a problem. The sponsor's not going to be happy.
2: Yeah, and I, I just don't want, I'm curious, are you judging sponsors that stick with the live golfers at this point? Like TaylorMade is sticking through it; they're not seeing anything on Dustin Johnson. He's still wearing their stuff, Adidas. You know, some of these other sponsors. Like, do you judge them for for sticking it out?
0: I think they're probably waiting to see what happens, and that bothers me. I, I would rather have these companies take a stand. Don't don't test the win. You know, lick a finger and stick it in the air. Which way is this going? Okay, <laughs> we need to drop the guy. Hey, I always, metaphor. yeah. We, but you always see that. You see that when there's a scandal, you'll see the company come out and it kind of looks at the public. It kind of gauges what. All right, is this is going to be bad for us. No, decide for yourself if this is bad for you. I have more respect for the companies if they if they do it like, hey, they just. Day one, internally go, we're not about this, we need to drop this person, rather than wait to see what the fallout's gonna be before making a decision. Speaking of a decision, Auburn baseball beat Oregon State in the Corvallis Super Regional. Here's how it sounded in the end, punch it. Got him, and Auburn, for the
1: second time in three tournaments, is headed to Omaha.
0: They're going to Omaha. Beavers came up short. Ultimately, uh, it was a one-run game that decided their season. Nice season for Oregon State. Good but not great. I think they were playing better baseball earlier in the year. Pitching staff, I think, just ran out of gas. They had some opportunities, though, and they were a lot of fun to watch. I also love that the core of this Oregon State team is coming back. So I feel good about Mitch Canham. Feel good about Oregon State baseball. Feel like uh, feel like they're in good position. Clay Thompson and the Warriors—they won Game Five. They have a three-two series lead against the Celtics. Series is headed back to Boston. Clay Thompson, how do you feel about that? Punch it.
11: I'm just excited to build on it, and wow, just going to be—I've never been so excited to go to Boston. I'll tell you that. <laughs> you know.
0: They're having fun with the fans in Golden State. I'm having fun watching this series. I think the Warriors are just a little better, a little more experienced, and frankly, they've got Steph Curry. That is, He is the ultimate difference maker. But Boston, I don't think Boston's done. I think Boston's got another win potentially in them. I will not be surprised if this series goes seven games, is what I'm saying. Finally, Kelly Graves. University of Oregon women's basketball coach. I asked him about the WNBA. Portland, could Portland get a WNBA team? It makes a lot of sense. Here's the Ducks coach. Punch it.
8: I do love the WNBA in Portland. It's a no-brainer to me. The Thorns are a huge success, right? Uh, You know, uh, at the turnstile. Yep. And you've got two of the best fan bases in the country. I mean, we were like, I don't know, top five in the nation. In attendance last year and I think Oregon State's always top 15 so yeah you, you get a beaver on that uh, on that team and a duck or two and fans will come out.
0: The Portland Fire were, was Portland's WNBA team they lasted 2000 to 2002 not enough as you talk about potential WNBA expansion the WNBA is looking to expand And Portland is on that list. They want to add two teams by 2024. It would make it a 14-team league. Nashville, Oakland, Philadelphia, Portland, San Francisco, and Toronto, all listed as potential expansion spots. I think Portland's going to get a team. I think the other team is going to go to San Francisco, Chase Center, to be paired with the Warriors. I think it'll be a Blazers, WNBA Counterpart and a Warriors WNBA counterpart. And, you know, the fire did struggle in two seasons. They did not make the playoffs. Um, and they barely got to 500. And then uh, Paul Allen decided in 2002 he, he didn't want to take on any losses. So it feels to me like the WNBA to Portland is going to happen. I'll have more on this in the coming weeks. I'm diving into this behind the scenes. I just I just don't have enough right now to say this publicly, but I feel good about Portland getting a WNBA team. I would love to see Scott Ruick or Kelly Graves coaching it, but then again, that would that would take away from the college scene. Keep an eye on that. More ahead, we'll talk about the Ducks, the Beavers, the Blazers. I'm gonna stay local in the last half hour of this show. I hope you stick around for it.
1: Back to the bald-faced truth with John Canzano on 750 The Game.
0: you a question judah sean let's play uh let's play a game that is played across college football and college basketball all day long every season every year more so maybe today but we have uh we have a bunch of people that play college sports that are kids that are college-aged kids that are making potentially some nil money if it's done in the spirit of nil but but by and large, they've got their eye on being a professional athlete, probably well before they even arrive at their university. Uh, I wrote today about the four University of Oregon football players that, um, I guess, gave up eligibility to declare for the NFL draft and then went undrafted. J.J. Burden, former NFL player, he's, he's very upset about this. He's on vacation with his wife in Hawaii. He is uh, celebrating an anniversary. And his wife was asleep this morning, and he texted me and he said, "My wife's asleep. I can't talk on the phone. He's up, I'm upset about this." And he went off about the Oregon players who declared for the draft, and he he says their life is going to be so much harder, their life as an athlete, because they're going to come into the league, they're cla- they're scratching and clawing and fighting their way into the NFL instead of coming in as like you know a fourth, fifth round draft pick who. The team's got some investment in, some guaranteed money. And J.J. Burden was pointing out, he was an eighth-round pick uh, with the Cleveland Browns when he was drafted, and he was pointing out that even as a draftable player, he had to figure out pretty quickly in the NFL, how do I stay here? He he is saying that these undrafted free agents, uh, C.J. Verdell, and um, also, you know, we're talking about Verone McKinley and, Mikhail Wright and Devon, Devon Williams he's saying life is going to be so much harder for these guys just to get to the league and then to stay in the league because of the way they're coming in but here's my question for you guys and I may and I think the question for listeners to consider what would you tell a friend or family member who was in the position of one of these players who is having an agent telling them you know what you know this is the time to go you have nothing left to prove in college. How hard would it be to have that conversation where you're real with them?
2: You mean where you feel like you know their pro prospects better than the agent? Well, let's or just... you, you think the agent's full of crap? No,
0: <laughs> let's just say put yourself in a family member. Uh huh. As a family member, this is your nephew. This is your brother. What advice would you give them prior to the draft? Maybe you don't know, but what advice would you give them?
2: Man, I would. Getting a good agent is is. A lot of it, because to me, if you get a bad apple there. I mean, you just saw it. This is what happened with these guys. Yeah, but you know, because if you get a good agent, someone that's going to keep it real with you. But that's the problem, right? The system is designed to incentivize the agents to speak in their best interest, even when it's not accurate, and you get situations like this. I, I don't know. It's, it's hard for me. I, if look, if you're a family member and you're especially an upstream family member, by that I mean a dad, a grandpa, or in mm-hmm. your case here, an uncle, as opposed to like a latitudinal family member or younger, then you got to keep it real with, you know, your nephew or, or your son and be like, listen, like, I don't know if you're going to be able to make it in the league, but you have as good a shot, like you just bet on yourself and work your butt off. I mean, I don't know what else you can say to these guys. Look, like, because can you recoup? The damages from what they've already experienced, you know, from this, I don't think you can other than trying to make the team, which is still possible, by the way. I mean, especially for a guy like Veron McKinley.
0: Yeah, I was really
2: yeah. impressed by that guy. Like he should find his way onto a roster. He was an All American, first team All American. Say he's not he, two hundred and twenty picks of the draft. Sh- and
0: the and but the problem is like I, I don't think the agents, and I don't have anything against agents. Like I think they play a, they play a role in this process. And, but I don't think there are very many agents that would have been really blunt and said to these four players, hey, there's a fair shot you're not picked based upon your measurables. Like Mikhail Wright ran a terrible 40 at the combine. I think it killed his opportunity really to be drafted, that combine number. And Verone McKinley did not run the 40, and I I think, you know, his size is the issue. Like, they looked at him and they said, you're not big enough to play safety in the NFL. Like, we'd like to see you, but we just don't think you're big enough. And so there are some things that are, like, maybe the agent is telling Verone McKinley, it's not like you're going to grow two inches. You might as well declare now and fight your way into this league. But at the same time, I looked over at Dan Lanning, you know, and I checked with him this morning. He hired a strength and conditioning coach who has a, a, an expertise in speed training. He he went and signed in his signing class 10 track and field athletes that ran 10-7 or better. Okay, so he values speed and he understands that being a step faster is a big deal in football. And so I just wonder if... Mikhail Wright in particular, who I thought could really run. He just had a bad day, I guess, at the Combine. Uh, if Mikhail Wright and Verone McKinley would have been far better off coming back, Devon Williams, I think I think there's a whole family dynamic that is going on behind the scenes with Devon Williams that none of us could appreciate. And I think we saw it when he was leaving USC. He was going to go to Oregon. He went to Oregon State for a blink, and then he ended up at Oregon I think we saw like there's a lot of voices in the room there and I don't I can't imagine what that's like for Devon Williams to have uncles and aunts and family members telling him what he should do all the time. So I think that one was messy. But I kind of want to go like I've been in that position with some people. I've told them what I thought, I'll be honest with you guys, and it's not what they want to hear anyway. I think they have a hard time, you know, I I've said, "Hey, I can talk to coaches and I can ask what they think and I've solicited input" I've solicited input with college players and high school players from college coaches and NFL scouts and then when I relay bad information like not bad but negative feedback back to the athletes it's not what they want to hear. I can tell you they're not they're not prone to listening to it even when you give it to them.
2: That's interesting. That's is you know cuz you kind of talked about that with Kelly Graves a little bit earlier in the show of you know, you gotta coach the way that you know how to coach. And look, if you're asking to be coached, or in this case, you're asking for feedback, you have to live with the positive and the negative feedback, because it's all constructive in the end. And you can't just, you know, turn it down. But it's youth, man. I mean, we we've all been young. It's not uh, even the
0: youth, man. Sometimes it's the family members. That's like that's a problem too. I gotta tell you, like I I had okay, I had one time. I'm not gonna name the details because I don't want to embarrass anybody. But I had somebody ask me you know, do you think my family member is a Pac-12 player? And I said, I'm hesitant to give that evaluation. I'm not a Pac-12 coach, but I know some Pac-12 coaches. Let me ask them what they think of this kid, high school player. And the feedback wasn't positive. By and large, they all said, not for us, not a Pac-12 player, probably right for the big sky. Down the line, here came the feedback. I turned around and shared that back with the family. They no longer speak to me. <laughs> so, what happened they, to the
2: athlete? You know? they,
0: uh, he ended up as a walk-on
2: at right? a pac twelve school. At a pac twelve school, okay. Yeah, as a walk-on.
0: But it, and I, my feedback was probably not going to be easy for you to get on the field. The coaches don't see it. Here's the feedback they gave, and it was negative. It was slow, you know. Um, you know, not uh, not for us. It was, you know, he belongs in the. Big Sky, and, you know, it was not. <laughs> Sorry. But there's part of me as a professional that I, I probably gave that feedback really abrasively, like I just kind of went bullet-pointed, you know. <laughs> Knowing you. Here's here's what the coaches are saying. It's not good. And my advice was, yeah, you can walk on if that's, the, if that's the right place for you and that makes you happy. Go ahead, walk on, be happy. But, you know, there are three outcomes here. One of them is you never play one of them is you go there for a year or two and you transfer and another one is you you know you stay in the program and you know maybe at the end of the rainbow you work really hard four or five years into this you get on the field a little bit like that's not what they wanted to hear <laughs> they want you know they wanted to hear he's going to play he's going to start you know whatever I, I don't know but that's i i wrestled with that today cuz JJ Burden's saying hey look I'll give it to him straight you know I'll tell these players I, I kind of wonder if today's college athlete even wants to hear anything that is contrary to their dream.
2: With NIL, you'd think that that would almost, if they're borderline, drafted or not drafted, you, you'd think that it incentivizes that to come back, right? Yeah. But does the coaching change factor in?
0: I do think that. There's two wild cards here in this equation. And for people who are following, you can read the whole story at johnconzano.com. I don't want to get into like too much of the backstory, but there was... I think there's a Mario Cristobal effect that happened with the Oregon players in particular. There was a coaching change that happened in December. So Cristobal's out in December. I kind of wonder, Dan Lanning wasn't hired for a while, right? Remember we went a few weeks there where Oregon was trying to figure out if he's going to coach and then they're playing in a bowl game and Lanning wasn't even hired yet and then it was official, but the guys had already, like three of those four players had already declared for the draft before Dan Landing was hired. So I kind of wonder if they stopped going to class. Like when Cristobal left, if they went, I'm out too, and they stopped going to class. Now nobody will confirm that. Mm -hmm. I've reached out. Players don't want to talk about it. The university Mm -hmm. won't confirm it. I wonder if those four players, when Mario Cristobal said, I'm going to Miami, if they checked out and just said, I'm not going to class anymore, I'm done as a football player at Oregon, and then there was no shot for them to go back when Dan Lanning was hired. That's what I kind of wonder. Sean, what advice would you – what would you say to, to a kid, you know?
6: Judah made the important point where I think NIL makes it a lot more intriguing for some of these guys to come back. Um, you know, just as a Ducks fan and a, someone who covered the team the past couple of years, I get it for McKinley and I get it for Verdell, the reasons they left. Verdell was around forever, and uh, he dealt with injuries, and he dealt with a couple of coaching changes. It felt like that it was time to move on for Verdell. McKinley had a ton of success. I was shocked he didn't get drafted, and I think – you know, my favorite NFL team, the Dolphins, got a steal. The other two guys, uh, no disrespect or anything, I just don't have a lot of memories of Mikhail Wright or Devon Williams as a duck, and I thought they could have used one or two more years in college. So, um, you know, I probably would have urged the, the latter two to, uh, to stay in school, and I probably would have, you know, encouraged McKinley and Verdell to, uh, to pursue the NFL for the reasons I mentioned.
0: Yeah, McKinley, I think if he comes back in Dan Lanning's defense— I would really think he could he could maybe rise a little bit to a draftable position. Devon Williams, I think, had a ton of talent. 500 receiving yards in his final year at Oregon is not going to get anybody's attention. And, you know, his 40-time, he's a big receiver. His 40-time was okay. I actually think Devon could make a practice squad, but he would have had an easier path to his dream getting drafted, and that would have taken another year. C.J. Verdell he had that bad injury. Broke broke his leg and uh, you know and dislocated his ankle against Stanford, and people you know were saying he has nothing left to prove. What you know, I do think he had something left to prove. I think he needed to come back and show that he could play a season without getting hurt. And there are great examples of players that didn't get drafted who still made the NFL and had great careers. Kurt Warner went to the Hall of Fame was not drafted. Warren Moon was not drafted. Jeff Garcia was not drafted. Larry Allen, that big offensive tackle with the Dallas Cowboys, not drafted. Tony Romo, not drafted. But you get the trend there. It's quarterbacks, offensive linemen. I'm not naming a bunch of de- defensive backs. Priest Holmes was one at running back who, who was not drafted and had a nice NFL career. But it's just a little easier if they get in. And I think it's hard for agents because agents are geared towards getting players drafted and making their income that way. So I think the agent has – a dog in the fight, but you need the agent's advice. I think it's hard for the college coaches because college coaches, I think by and large, want the kids to come back, but at the same time they want what's best for the kid. But all things being equal, I think the coach is going to say, come back for another year. Um, Then you get parents. I think parents get a little starry-eyed. I don't think they have a good assessment. So I think J.J. Burden's right in saying, you know, you need an NFL player who's been in the league more than five years. That was his caveat. NFL players has been in the year, league for five years to talk to the players and say, here's how hard it is to get in the league. Here's how hard it is to stay in the league. What was it that Nick Saban said when he was coaching with Jacksonville? Not Saban, I'm sorry. Uh, when when uh, Urban. Uh, Urban Meyer was coaching with Jacksonville, he said every week is Alabama, right? J.J. Burden said, all these guys are great when you get to the next level. Everybody's gifted at the next level. Nobody tells you that in college, and you're so used to being like the star. Then you get to the next level, and you look around, and you're like, these guys are not only great, they're experienced, they're hardworking, and the guys who have been in the league like five, six, seven years, they know how to play. Like Burden told the story. He was in training camp with uh, Cleveland, and he's he runs a 4-3-40, okay? He's fast. He's little, but he's fast. So he gets into this training camp. And he lines up and he's got Hanford Dixon across from him. Veteran defensive back was at the end of his career. He was a slower DB at the end of his career. Burden told me this morning he thought Hanford ran about a four-seven by the time he was done. But Hanford Dixon was like the old man on the defensive back squad. Burden was a rookie. He looked over and he said, Hanford Dixon's gonna try to guard me. He was salivating, going, I'm gonna just I'm gonna blister, I'm gonna run right by him. He said he jammed him at the line of scrimmage and threw him to the ground. The play ran. He never got off the ground. He was on the ground the whole time. He said right then, he went, dang, man, this is just practice. And Hanford Dixon whipped around, got down on a knee beside him and said, Rook, in the NFL, every day is game day. If you don't do better than that, you're not going to make it here very long. And J.J. Burden said right then, he said, I either had to feel sorry for myself or I got to realize, like, I'm just another player here, so I I feel for the Oregon players. I I don't I'm not going to root against them, but it's a hard life if you aren't drafted, and it's a it's a scrap man. Of those four, let's play a little game, Judah, Sean. Of the four players from Oregon who went undrafted, talking about Verdell at running back, went to the Colts. Devon Williams undrafted but signed with the Ravens. Verone McKinley signed with the Dolphins, and Mikhail Wright got in, invited to rookie minicamp with the Seahawks. Of those four, how many of them are in the NFL in two years?
6: Oh, that's tough. I, I know for sure. I'm very confident that Verone's going to have a lot of success, um, especially with Holland as a mentor. And I'm a believer in C.J. Verdell. So, um, I you know, I'll say at least two of them are in the league in a couple of years.
2: Shooter. Can't be that bullish. I'll go one. I like your thought process. And Mikhail Wright is or excuse me, um, McKenley is the one to me that I think is, is gonna have a chance to make it. I love your Javon Holland tie in there in Miami in yeah. that secondary. I think is really smart. So I, I'd bank on him and Verdell it's just too many miles, I think, for me to yeah. make it in the NFL. But then again, you just never know. Running no. back week fourteen, week fifteen, people need a guy, called Verdell. He might make a difference. Yeah, you but just Verdell- never know. Verdell's not
0: was not even as good as LaMichael James, and look at how hard it was for LaMichael. I mean, he hung well, around. He had it, Tom
2: Rathman as a but, position coach. But at least
0: le <laughs> the only reason LaMichael made some money is he got drafted, and uh, he had some guaranteed money, and there was some investment in him. CJ doesn't have that. I think CJ is bound for the CFL. I think Devon Williams is bound for the Canadian League or USFL or somewhere. I think Mikhail Wright uh, really would have benefited from another year at Oregon. I think he would have ran better in the Combine. I'll agree with you, Judah and, and Sean. I think Veron McKinley or Bust. I mean I think he's I think the only one of the four that's got a shot really to stick. The other guys may be on a practice squad or out of the league. Leave it here. You got the bald face truth. Back
1: to the bald face truth with John Canzano on 750 the game.
0: Peter Sampson coming up right here on 750 of the game with the pulse. Peter Sampson, is the Blazers-Celtics series going seven or no?
10: Uh, Warriors-Celtics? I'm sorry. Yeah. Uh, What a slip. (laughs) I mean, hey, man. Blazers,
0: you like the Blazers in seven? I do. (laughs) From your
10: lips to God's ears, John. Yeah, I do think this is going seven. I mean, my initial pick was Warriors in six, so I'd love to be right. I think Boston's got one more in them, though.
0: I uh, I just got an email from the Blazers about Brooke. One of their broadcasters, uh, they're trying to get her uh, on the show or whatnot, and mm. I, I, the subject line of the email was "Brook and Blazers," and then I literally went into Blazers, Celtics. <laughs> so there you have it. I, I think it's, I think they're going seven. I think Boston wins as a matter of pride, Game Six, but I think the Warriors win going away in Game Seven. But in a Game Seven, do you, do you think Boston could win a Game Seven? At Chase Center
10: I mean they could but I I don't know man I don't think so Jason Tatum to me has been such a letdown in this series and the Warriors have had their uh, their ups and their downs certainly but it just seems like the role players that really didn't do anything at the beginning of the series are starting to click you know Steph is gonna Steph and I just trust their experience when it comes down to it they've been there they are not going to shrink under the bright
0: lights Yeah, MVP of the series, Steph Curry, or who, if it's not Curry?
10: If it's not Curry, I'm going to say it's Andrew Wiggins.
0: Hmm. Been really good. Can the Blazers learn anything from this? I don't know. Yes. What can they learn?
10: Draft well man, Boston and Golden State. There's a reason that they're the best of the best You look at that draft lineup that they've had over the last say seven eight nine years Not only did they pick the right guys they kept them and then you look at the Blazers over the last decade It's a different story.
0: Yeah, and and also look there's a lesson there Maybe you know the Warriors didn't have to draft for need right they were never desperate mm-hmm. in, at least in the recent era you gotta keep that in mind. Draft the best available player. I don't mind if you get a little redundant. The Blazers did with Anthony Simons, and it's okay. They got a player there that that can still help them. What I can't what I don't like, if you're a Blazer fan, is uh, I don't like the team drafting guys that, you know, we needed a power forward, so we went we went with a front court player who ends up out of the league in two years. I want you to leave it here, Peter Sampson and the pulse coming up. We're back tomorrow. The bald face truth is out.